listeners and welcome to another edition of the Pro Parade Podcast, episode 13, Unlucky for some, but hopefully not for any of you. As we mentioned at the end of episode 12, we are doing a little bit of a two-part crawl, he says at the time of recording, we have said it for two parts and goddammit that's the way it's going to stay, of the uh, Japanese MMA promotion, the Pride Fighting Championships. With me for this intro, not Daniel, don't worry he is, um, he is not incommunicado, it's just that we recorded this before, and then Daniel's audio got corrupted, so we had to redo it. So we've actually recorded uh, the episode already. What do you mean, George? Daniel's here. Listen to him say hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have with me uh, David Forrest. Say hello, David. Hello. Yeah, in, in your normal voice. And, um, yeah, so uh, so before we get into uh, things with Pride, um, it's time for, not for another edition of George's Adventures in Puro, although that is coming, David's Adventures in George's Neck of the Woods. So, uh, David, yes. we actually had a rare face-to-face interaction very recently, didn't we? Um, I'd like to put found to the Twitter rumours that if two members of the podcast ever get together in the same vicinity, the earth will explode. That didn't happen. We were actually in each other's vicinity. We, we did many things. We, we roamed um, in the fields and just had, had a gay old time. Ran through fields of wheat. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we were in and around each other's vicinities. So um, basically... It was a lovely weekend in which, uh, David, you were down in Leeds for the uh, the uh, Damnation Festival, is that right? Yeah, 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 I know. Actually, I have a funny story. I, I can't remember if I told you. I went to the Damnation Festival and my friend, like, I know the person who runs it, but I'm not like best friends or anything like that. And we seen the organiser coming up because I used to play Seven Asides against him and he was steaming, singing in Selic songs. He was singing that Brendan Rodgers is going for 10 in a row. <laughs> Can I get a, can I get a balcony guest list? There you go, my good man. <laughs> so I was like, there we go. Prayed on his um, drunken Tim weakness to get a, a balcony um, guest list. Uh, it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. But uh, to be honest, um, I hope you're not listening, Gav from Damnation. But the only reason I went is so that we could <laughs> I could stay at George's and we could chat shit all weekend. And um, chat shit, we certainly did. It was around yes. about the time of uh, the Minami Toyota retirement show. So we watched rather a lot of uh, classic AJW on uh, mm-hmm. YouTube. Uh, I introduced David to uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. He subsequently beat me in his first ever game. <laughs> yes. Um, to, yeah, like I, I really enjoyed it, although the font is too small and I do struggle to read it, but I still beat you, George, so that says a lot that a technically blind man um, defeated you at yu gi It was a real John Cena of a performance as well. I think at one point I had 7,900 life points and you had 200, and at the end of the game you still had 200 and I was down to zero. If you don't understand uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, then um, quite frankly, what are you still doing listening to this podcast? But... Um... <laughs> I always had a nice game of Power Grid which I, on which I was able to uh, get my win back um, uh, Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior style. So um, it was a, a good time was had by all. Exactly. Um, we we are obviously being a pure free podcast to play the Japanese expansion um, of Power Grid. <laughs> um, I would uh, heartily recommend anyone to play Power Grid because it's the best board game ever. True, true to form, um, no one wanted to go to Hokkaido until it was absolutely necessary. <laughs> <laughs> What else did we do? We did we did other things. We um oh we watched um a stream of the Fissile Rangers game and then the guy doing the stream gave up at half time <laughs> and, and did. just didn't bother to show the second half because they played that bad. Um, it was great. We we also watched um a bit of a supermarket sweep on Challenge in which David uh, held forth with his incredibly forthright opinions on uh, how and why the format of the game show was irrevocably ruined with the inflatable items. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, they ruined the economy this week. The sportsmanship of the game was all gone. But they, that's for the Christmas episode. They should read uh, the World for Nations, shouldn't they, mate? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I had a great time. I saw God of Oak Noseweeds twice in 24 hours. Um, they were fantastic. But yeah, it was a great time. And yeah, I had a great fun with George and Sarah. And yeah, it was good. And everyone should go and live at George's house for a weekend. <laughs> come one, come all. In fact, we probably have enough listeners that I can fit you all in. So uh... yeah. <laughs> and um, then next we had, um, moving on to the aforementioned segment I mentioned previously, um, George's Adventures in Poe. So um Myself and uh, friends, or I guess girlfriend of the podcast, Sarah, just, just girlfriend, just of me, not the other two. And um, I maintain the it's double... not that taper relationship. It, it is certainly not. <laughs> and uh, I maintain the double foot stomp is silly staff writer Luke, as well as uh, numerous other contributors and friends were down at um, uh, Pro Wrestling Eve for the uh, the She Won tournament, including one of my all time heroes, Brother Mort. You met Brother Mort. I met oh, Brother Mort. Um, if he's listening, if he's listening to this, and I, he probably listens to like dozens and dozens of podcasts, and doesn't have time for this one. But Mort, if you're listening, you are a absolutely swell bloke, and I did promise to name my first child the Real Hero Archive, and I'm going to stick to that. <laughs> that, is, that is a great name. <laughs> Enough questions, Real Hero Archive. <laughs> yeah, I literally did quote that meme to him, um, <laughs> and uh, Will Folter as well. Again, like a uh, lovely, lovely guy. And uh, actually, for the first time ever, this was such a fucking surreal experience. Uh, a guy in a, uh, the Dundee Arms over the road from um, from York Hall said to us, like, are you, are you uh, Sarah and George? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and uh, he was like, I'm from uh, I Maintain the Double Foot Stomp is Silly. I was, I was just thinking, like, what the fuck? And so basically he recognised, because Sarah you know, posts a lot about wrestling on Twitter and her face is in her profile, and he recognised my voice from the podcast. And, and I will say, a uh, mysterious person, um, I don't know who you are, but thank you so much for giving me the biggest laugh I've had in a long time. When I got that text this morning saying you'd be recognised, I was howling. I was like, fuck off, that is not a thing. Like, that is no way is that a thing. Uh, that is amazing. I imagine, like, absolute, like actually famous podcasters like probably do get sick of it, but, like... Um... Or Kevin Mann must just, like, not... Like function in society anymore. <laughs> no, you just can't go to a wrestling show. I, 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 I still have that luxury, and uh, and yes. enjoy that luxury. I did. Uh, the She One was a really fantastic tournament. Uh, so they had um, three groups of four women. They did this sort of uh, league system, and then they had a, a, a triple threat for the final. And uh, it was. I mean, there's too many highlights to to name, but uh, there was a couple of uh, veterans of the Joshi scene actually. Um, not only in the tournament, but joining the same group in uh, Mako Satomura, who we've had the pleasure of seeing on uh, a few occasions this year in the UK, and uh, Emi Sakura. Uh, they had a match against each other that uh, was uh, so stiff and brutal, it led to us... Basically, we came out of the venue just like... You know that scene in The Simpsons where um, Homer puts uh, some weed in the uh, the hippies' sort of organic smoothies, and then the, the, like yes. everyone ends up drinking them, and uh, Grandpa and Jasper are just sitting on the on the uh, on a bench going, <laughs> like that was basically us coming out. In fact, I think I, Luke sank to his knees like like Charlie Sheen in Platoon, but in a good way, uh, at what he had just seen. Um, and uh, both both these women also wrestled Viper, um, who has you know, become a bit of a uh, gaijin mainstay in Joshi. And uh, again, like absolutely incredible matches. Uh, Jetta, who was uh, also in their group, playing the um, 
the the North Korea to uh, the other three wrestlers, uh, Brazil, Portugal, and the Ivory Coast in the 2010 World Cup, um, <laughs> getting squashed by the Joshi Stars in less than a minute, and then putting up a more competitive uh, fight against Viper, but uh, you know, coming coming up uh, ultimately short. And uh, you know there was uh, there was also uh, uh, Nicole Matthews over from Canada. Who, I was uh, going to say, is, is Jetta the only wrestler in uh, existence to be named after a 90s Volkswagen? <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's at some sort of luchador called Passat or something like that. <laughs> if, if anybody knows about that, App Euro podcast. There's, there's, there's a Jackie Polo. Jackie Polo, well, yeah, that is true. I they were making them in the 90s, it's fine. Um, yeah, we did have uh, Nicole Matthews uh, successfully sold someone a shirt during a match. Amazing. And uh, Amazing. she'd lost her first two matches and so was mathematically unable to make the final. And she got the mic after wrestling a few minutes against Kaylee Ray and pointed this out to her and said, just to let you know, I am accepting bribes. <laughs> so, like, it was just, I mean, I, I always say this when I talk about uh, pro wrestling Eve, but, like, it really is such a great atmosphere. And, you know, the Resistance Gallery, it is a, a very sweaty space. We were also perspiring with love. And uh, that is the uh, the biggest biggest takeaway. And yeah, it was just a really uh, lovely weekend. Kind of surreal post match happenings. Uh, saw Meiko Satomura going past eating a cupcake. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, she she was tweeting about having a fry up this morning. Like the the very idea of uh, Meiko Satomura having a fry up is something that is like completely alien and was uh, particularly uh, complimentary about uh, what she called the charred tomato, which <laughs> is uh, usually something I just chuck straight in the bin. So I'm. Uh, I'm uh, quite shocked to see one of my all-time wrestling heroes have such a contrarian taste with regards to breakfast items. We, we, should, we should also mention at this point that when I came to stay with you, um, I also uh, brought you uh, some fry-up material. I brought you a, a square sausage and some uh, steak slice and potato scones. and I think Mako would love it. In fact, and we know that um, Chris Wolfe um, of the, the Joshi Parish, uh, she loves a square sausage because uh, she's she's tweeted about it before. She had a rolling square sausage. Um, that is that is absolutely. I completely forgot about that. Yes, I am actually. It's actually probably like me getting the chance to thank you. Like I have since eaten your uh, the large breakfast pack. Sarah was out all nights, so like we didn't get a chance to have it for breakfast. So I just had half of it for dinner last Monday and half of it for dinner <laughs> last Wednesday. <laughs> and now I'm currently on the waiting list for a triple bypass. So uh, thank you very much for that. <laughs> Cholesterol. Scottish people eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I am now actually planning. I want to come to the York Hall show because oh yeah, I, shit. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I felt very despondent all weekend just watching all these fucking tags of our of our podcast Twitter. Um, of all these people going, it's so great meeting at Pure Podcast, and not fucking me, is it? No, it's never fucking me. <laughs> it's always George. Uh, so I am. I'm hoping to come down to the York Hall. Um, Jackson can get the spare bed. Um, I'm coming from. <laughs> uh, yeah, you saw Jackson as well. You met my two favourite people in the world, brother Morton Jackson. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, the I mean, the big incentive not only is going to be the biggest uh, all-female wrestling show in the history of Europe, but um, they are bringing over Arja Kong to wrestle Viper. Uh, which will be incredible. It will be incredible. I mean, Sarah actually made so much noise when they announced it, and she went fucking mental when they teased it uh, a few months ago. Uh, she went so mental when they announced it that, like, this woman in front of her sort of looked round to check she was okay. <laughs> Getting her a bag to hyperventilate into. Oh yeah, I did I did have to hold her a bit in the interval. I was like, it's okay, it's okay. Like, 
we can uh, we can all take a bit of a uh, bit of time to digest what we've just uh, what we've just witnessed but like that's going to be fucking incredible and like yeah I'll just probably like totally I mean my, my my friend Pat who was also there said Arja Kong like I she's not on my bucket list she she is my bucket list yeah. like the bucket which she will no doubt use to hit people over the head in uh, due course it's going to be an incredible match and Viper as well I'm so happy for Viper because obviously she's for her I will pull uh, she's quite local to myself. In fact, I used to work with somebody who's really good friends with them. It's so great to be seeing Viper be the one against Asha Kong. Not least because I just really want to see Viper against Asha Kong, but just yeah. like to see Viper getting opportunities is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I love it so much. She was she was marking out like very visibly so much, just like waiting for uh, the maker the match she had against Mako Satomura to start. And it was a it was a it was a fantastic match as well. It's well worth um, uh, checking out on uh, Eve on Demand if you get the chance. And uh, also they have XWA content, so you'll be able to watch that uh, ridiculous Human Conquers match between uh, Daisuke Sakamoto and uh, Keith Lee. I lo- I love my wrestlers named after towns in Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> Just northwest of Bradford, yeah. <laughs> northwest um... of Bradford, Keith Lee. Um, so yeah, um, I think that's about all we've got uh, got in this section. So um, shall we begin the episode proper? So. Um, you may remember when we did uh, the New Japan versus UWFI run, uh, episodes four to seven. We mentioned uh, towards the end what UWFI turned into, or rather, what was its uh, successor promotion. And uh, basically, we could call this like what Nobuhiko did next. And um, what Nobuhiko did next was to get pasted. Yeah, get pasted basically. In 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 a nutshell. Um, firstly, they they formed a sort of successor promotion called Kingdom, which was sort of fairly shoot short lived. That had a shoot lived. Hey, that had a bit of um few uh UFI people on it. Um, one thing I actually want to mention, basically, I want to give a shout out to Fighting Network friends. Actually, they've talked quite a bit about UFI and rings and all that. But they mentioned there is a blog which is reviewing all of Kingdom. Really? Yeah, like they they had the first one up. It was like a two hundred and fifty thousand yen tournament, and he'd reviewed it. It looked it looks it looks so good. Like I would I would love to review Kingdom at one point, but yeah, um, yeah, like it's um it looks it's a great blog. It is Kingdom of Shit dot blogspot dot co dot uk. Very good. So it's just if you type in Kingdom of Shit, you can get the Kingdom blog. There's uh, quite a few reviews on there. It's fantastic. Kingdom's up there with like Big Mouth Loud in terms of like uh, sort of short-lived per promotions. I want to do a uh, a little bit of a a run through. Oh yeah, absolutely, definitely. Yeah, basically, and then what they did after Kingdom was, as I mentioned at the end of episode seven, the thing everybody wanted to see was Nobuhiko Takada fight Hicks and Gracie for realsies. Um, and just to put it briefly for those of you who haven't listened to those episodes, um, Takada's sort of, I guess, right-hand man, assistant booker and shoot star wrestler Yoji Anjo went over to uh, LA to the Gracie Dojo to challenge uh, old Hickson to a square go, um, got his face mercilessly pummeled into hamburger meat for about uh, seven minutes, and um, Takada lost a lot of face with the Japanese public for... Um, not going round there and avenging Yoji. The idea was that he, as his senior, would have to defend his pupil's honour and, you know, the honour of his promotion as well. And he didn't. And this was one of the reasons you glorify and Takada himself lost some popularity. So um, the match did actually happen and uh, the Pride Fighting Championship was set up by a company called Dreamstage Entertainment to serve as a sort of uh, a vehicle 
for this fight to take place. And uh, we sort of went over this fight at the end of episode seven. We're not reviewing it on this episode. And the reason being is because you go back and listen to episode seven. I say they circle each other for a few minutes. And the first time uh, Takada sort of tries to get any sort of hold, uh, he gets tapped out. Right, you don't need to see the match now. That I've just described it. That, that That's how it went. Takada got his ass kicked, but uh, Pride was not done. And in the ensuing years, it became nothing less than a genuine uh, pop cultural and uh, sporting phenomenon, not just in Japan, but in the, in the world at large. So, uh, David, uh, if you could, could just sort of go into for our listeners, uh, what was Pride about? What set it apart from other MMA promotions that had existed up until that point? Pride, essentially... Pride wasn't afraid to take a punt and go a bit mental and essentially what it was is that you had these shoot promotions such as uh, Rings and UWFI and uh, Pancrase and stuff like that but what what was happening is that those were all very straight laced straight laced yeah suit and tie all that you know they are they were essentially, it's like, they were more close to, like, if you've ever watched Eurosport and you get, like, you know, you get, like, judo or, re- or like, um, amateur wrestling on there. So a lot of the presentation was very similar to that because it was a more sports-orientated presentation. Uh, it focused heavily more on the sports and the entertainment. What Pride did was it took the workshop elements of, like GWFI and things like that, and combined it with the sort of the grandiosity of New Japan. Because remember, at this time, this is sort of in the nineties. This was sort of peak, uh, like New Japan. You know that sort of that I know the the economic bubble was yet to burst, and people were just launching money everywhere. And um, you know, New Japan had. Do you remember was it uh, was it Jushin Liger uh, jumping off a off the Titan Tron for an entrance at Wrestle Kingdom and. Uh, Chono coming out on in Yakuza Hummers and Onita and legitimate like, businessman Hummers, David, please. Leg- legitimate businessman Hummers and Onita with his uh, barbed wire, just like yeah, like th- this was th- this sort of was at the point where wrestling had kind of latched on to the showmanship, the grandiosity of it all, and were using that to make their make their promotion seem larger than life and pride took that that philosophy of larger than life and put it to shoot wrestling but instead of wrestling they totally got rid of the wrestling tag altogether and it was just it was just mixed martial arts so they essentially there was lots of different things there was the grandiosity of new japan the realism of ufc and that sort of rings uwfi of of the workers a lot because a lot of them are from wrestling backgrounds they essentially took a lot of wrestlers um, put them in a ring and made them fight for real and then just had a lot of some pyro and ballyhoo behind it yeah I mean, saved them at 20 minutes and just said that to be honest I mean the yeah the thing about um, what I mean if, if you if you only know UFC you might be quite surprised at the fact that the, the sort of wrestling uh, not just wrestling uh, amateur wrestling but pro wrestling crossover with uh, MMA in Japan has historically been you know a lot uh, a lot bigger to the extent that um, you know uh, New Japan owner and loyalist ultra Antonio Inoki was the um, the matchmaker for Pride you would have things like and we're not going to cover this in this episode we're going to do a, 
uh, a different run on what so-called Enochiism, the idea that you'd have pro wrestlers coming over to compete in MMA, MMA fighters going over to compete in pro wrestling, a big intermixing of uh, things. And of course, Nobuhiko Takada, who was you know, the big star on the early Pride shows, you know, he yeah. was a former pro wrestler, a pro wrestler who put himself across as a legit shooter, but a pro wrestler nonetheless. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, like, if you ever want to see the, the differentiation of, you know, UFC and Pride, certainly nowadays UFC, I mean, like, there was a, it was a Saitama fight night card uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think it was actually in the September, um, yeah, and it was, it was in Saitama Super Arena, which, uh, well, you know, like, lots of wrestling companies have held, DDT have held shows there, I'm pretty sure Pride have, have held shows in the Saitama Super Arena as well. I think that the problem is is that whenever the UFC hold a show in Japan, people are like, oh, it's Pride, it's back. And it isn't, it's just a normal UFC show, but like the lights are red instead of, you know, <laughs> uh, the normal colour. That's, that's genuinely it, and they just put lots of Japanese guys on there. You can you can clearly see with Pride, they, they took a lot of sensibilities from pro wrestling well before you had like Conor McGregor, you know, cutting promos and stuff like that. Pride were really the predecessors of this, and they understood that even though pro wrestling wasn't real, you could use it to sell a lot of tickets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now the the uh, the crossovers with pro wrestling you know, don't particularly end there. And again, if you you, you um, if you only watch uh, UFC in terms of uh, in terms of MMA, um, you know all the guys in there are there. You know CM Punk accepted. They are there because they have built up a rep on the independent scenes, and they are you know technically skilled, proficient fighters. And they're there because they, you know, they, they deserve to be, really. Now, Pride yeah. had a somewhat more idiosyncratic um, relationship to matchmaking. By deserve to be there, and there were people in Pride who they saw as deserving to be there, not necessarily because of fighting skill, but because it would be a spectacle. We've seen yeah. this with the case of some of the pro wrestlers. And also, um, fucking, uh, for example, um, we're not covering this fight, but uh, remember Nathan Jones, the... Uh, the uh, for, um, former armed robber turned, you know, movie. The Colossus of Bogger Road. The Colossus of Bogger Road. The there's never been a greater disconnect between an intimidating ne- nickname like the Colossus and something so innocuous sounding as Bogger Road. Like try and try and say the words Bogger Road in a menacing voice. It can't be done. Um, yeah, he had a fight in Pride, and he was just a big guy. He wasn't a he wasn't a shooter, and indeed the the uh, the fight itself was not a shoot. And that's what the other aspect of what we'd like to do. Um, with this episode, show you that while Pride may have put itself across as an MMA promotion, a, a shoot promotion, not all of the fights were necessarily shoots. So what you're going to um, experience in this uh, these couple of episodes is us talking about uh, some some absolute stone cold classic MMA fights. Don't get me wrong, we're going to have a lot of those, but you will also see things like, as absurd as a sumo wrestler wrestling a man one third his size. Um, Obvious, obvious works, and uh, giant silver. <laughs> oh man, it's like yeah. If if you just watch modern UFC and have never watched Pride, my word, are you in for a treat with these um, <laughs> these reviews? Because it's like I, I I'm I I'll I'll say I'm not the biggest MMA fan in the world. I enjoy like, UFC, but I don't watch it religiously or anything like that. But 
you can't beat Pride. I I always I always love Pride. It brings it brings back so. And I I kind of caught the tail end of Pride. I remember the tail end of it because you used to sell all the DVDs for a pound. And um, do you remember that show that that shop that's entertainment? Oh God, was, yes. They once like near the end, near their death knell, they had like thousands of Pride DVDs for like a pound. And and it, it was great. It seemed like a lot of the WWE DVDs, but I distinctly remember having a full shelf of like Pride DVDs. And yeah, like it's just some mad shit. Like it's, it, like, it, I can't. I, I I would love to go back and be like uh, into Pride when I was like a kid, because I can't I can't imagine how how much I would have loved it. You know, as a kid to to watch Pride, it's it, it's totally built for a ten year old. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's glitz and glamour. It's uh, showmanship. It's fighting, but it's also something more more than fighting. It is, you know, pro wrestling treated as fighting, fighting treated as pro wrestling. A uh, wonderful assemblage of the two forms. And so, yeah, we really hope that you uh, enjoy our trawl through the uh, the annals of Pride Fighting Championship history. Well, um, actually, to peek behind the curtain uh, for all the listeners... Um, it's actually the 13th of November today. We're sure looking forward to Italy at the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. But George, I, I was I was kind of wondering this. I was like, how are we meant to? We we need to get we need to get back to the 29th of October. Um, so I true. called up an old friend. Did you? Is that old friend someone who was like perhaps recently changed gender? And a lot of VLs on the internet are very unhappy about this. Yes, yes, but we'll gloss over that. Yes, so um, I called up my good old friend, the Doctor. I hope it's Dr. Wagner Jr. I love that guy. <laughs> it's actually Kenny Duker, former Gretna striker. <laughs> the um, good Doctor. The most lethal Doctor since Harold Shipman. <laughs> uh, Someone came to my 18th birthday party dressed as him. Who, the Kenny Duker? No, no Harold Shipman. <laughs> Yes, it's not Harold Shipman, and he's got his TARDIS for us, so we should probably hop in. Yeah, well, after you, mate. My good. What chain. do you say, Daniel? Hello, everybody.
So here we are, the 29th of October 2017. Wow, everything looks great. Um, we better hurry this up, guys, though, because I've got a discussion on Ka the Catalan Independence referendum with um, current UFC champions Joanna Drudracek and uh, Michael Bisping. Um, so we want to get that in. They're taking their belts and everything. I'm sure everything will go well for them very soon. I'm sure they're training very hard. Um, I can't see them losing at all. Can you? No, not at all, mate. It's, it's, it's a done deal as far as I'm concerned. Good stuff. Piece of piss. Um, and that TJ Dillashaw doesn't stand a chance, by the way. Uh, but yes, so, um, what's the first match that we're going to re be reviewing, George? Well, I'm glad you asked, David. The uh, first fight we're going to cover is uh, maybe not what you might think <laughs> MMA is, but uh, as, as we mentioned in the intro, is it? <laughs> one of, great one to start on. We were going... Maybe not what you might think MMA is. It's not it a fight. Really is. It's... <laughs> But that, this is yeah. what MMA is. <laughs> it is to you. Um, but, like, I mean, one, one of the things we said in the intro was Pride was had some really great MMA fighters, but at the same time it had some rather questionable bookings <laughs> and what you might term, for want of a kind of word, freak show fights. And because we're going chronologically uh, through the history of Pride, it might be the case that we have kind of front-loaded our selection of matches <laughs> with fights such as this. So, um, the first fight we are going to uh, cover is from the 24th of June, 1998. It is uh, Manny Yarbrough, with a professional record of one win and one loss, against Daiju Takase, with a professional record of zero wins and zero losses. Now, what you need to know about this fight, Daiju Takase is... I, I have the weights of these oh, give us the weights, right, please. So, Daiju Takase is £169, right? Manuel Yarbrough. And then clocking in at a lean. Clocks in at £652. <laughs> in fact, he is, so, like, he is so fat that when he announces weight, the crowd audibly gasps. They'll go... <laughs> <laughs> and, and bear in mind, they audibly gasp. This is a country in which sumo wrestling is the national sport. <laughs> So <laughs> they are used to big fat men fighting, and I mean, to be fair to Manny Yarbrough, he did used to be a professional sumo wrestler. Yeah. So there mm. is that. He's not just some some guy they brought in. He did have a somewhat of a legit rep. He actually competed on the first UFC show. Now, if if, if uh, you watch current UFC, you're not familiar with nineties UFC. Yeah. The first few UFC shows were basically a pub argument. It's like, who would win in a fight between? Who would win in a fight between a taekwondo guy yeah. and a sumo wrestler? Let's find out. Because the, yeah. the purpose of it was to put over Gracie Jiu-Jitsu as the strongest fighting style. So it's like, let's have him uh, fight a boxer and show that it's stronger than boxing. Let's have him fight a karate guy and show that it's better than karate. And one of the fighting styles in this first UFC was sumo wrestling. So we have Manny Yaba. He competed in UFC 1. Daiju Takase is... I think he was a trained pro wrestler, but I think he was trained as pro wrestler and never really actually did much wrestling. He moved more into MMA. This is his first professional fight, so we must be kind on him, but uh, as you might see, it, it might be it might be somewhat difficult. Well, th this um, goes back to what this old staple of the Pure Review podcast, which is my wife's views on wrestling, because this is the <laughs> absolute distillation of that theory in that Emmanuel Yarbrough is, and there is no other way to describe him, and I mean this in the most positive sense in the world, he's a fat cunt, right? Yeah. <laughs> there is no other way to describe him, and I mean that in the most positive way, as I said. I mean, this is... I mean, can you imagine this getting sanctioned by, like, an actual actual governing body? Like... It, 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 would, it wouldn't even get sanctioned by, like, those Jakey promotions that are, like, you know... 
fight street bomb and have it like take place in like tire stacked like you know fucking godforsaken uh you know like gardens in the middle of nowhere in like you know des moines like so it wouldn't it wouldn't even get you know they wouldn't even get sanctioned there <laughs> like, it's so preposterous <laughs> the, but the visual the visual is oh it's all about the visual though uh, like, it is. <laughs> i mean yeah let, let's not lie this is some absolute dave and that planet earth shit this is the gazelle being, yeah. being chased by the lion <laughs> oh my god like yeah that's the thing as well because um Manny Yarbrough is not just very heavy he's like six foot eight as well he's about he's, a, he's about six foot eight wide like, he's a vast continent. That's probably not man. an exaggeration. Like, he, no. he really is like fucking house. If you've never seen Emmanuel Yarbrough, just visualise Big Daddy V, but fatter. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, because like... And possibly more immobile. <laughs> yeah, we just saying something. Like, I mean, David, that's the thing your wife always says. If wrestling was real, the, the big show would, would always win. Like, this is basically, with this theory, this is a chance to put your money where your mouth is. At one point, fucking Mauro Ronaldo, or is it Stephen Quadros, I can't remember who commented, actually just says this, Fidi, going, if he sits on him, it's over. He literally says this in commentary, but if he sits on him, he's too fat, he can't get out from underneath him. Well, that that, that might be a good place to begin, though, because I do believe that this is our first introduction to the fight professor, (laughs) uh, Stephen Quadros, um, who is... Oh, it, it's it, it's great stuff. This it's a little bit like. Um, do you remember? I'm trying to think of like a t- like a TV or show or something where ah right, you know on Coronation Street, you know when Nick Platt just came down the st- went upstairs once in a huff to his room, then came down three years later and was a different actor. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. they replaced the entire cast of Goodnight Sweetheart, apart from Nicholas Lunter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. This 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 is very much Pride's commentary booth version of that. So. Um, Clock, when you tune into early Prides, you don't get the dulcet tones of Mario Ronaldo, who became most synonymous, um, I think, with, with Pride in, in a certain period, a bit later. Um, you get the fight professor, Stephen Quadros. And even that name, Stephen Quadros, it sounds like Alan Quatermain or like Quatermass. So like, it's like it's got a real like Victorian literary element to it, like Stephen Quadros. Like, um, and he is this really weird, he's the kind of guy that you would imagine would come into a party if you were like teenagers and he'd be like, Oh, don't worry. I'm just a dad, but hey, I'm that's cool, man. Hey, give me some of that. I'll smoke some, some of that, man. Like he's just a real. But then he reveals himself now and again to be a stickling nerd for things as well, which is just brilliant. Um, and of course, he's accompanied by uh, on on, on colour commentary, and I mean colourful commentary, people. Um, the one and only Bass Rutten. So I mean, yeah. come on, this is this is quality. The Bedouin Skinner of early MMA. Have, yeah, have you, I just didn't realise it. Have you ever? Oh, there was a recent um, when we were when we were preparing for this. I listened to um, John Pollock. Did uh, they did a review of Pride One, the MMA report, and they got Stephen Quadros on uh, to do oh, to like yes. do an interview. Yes. And they were Quadros. Quadros, and they got him on. And like, do you know he was in a, a glam rock band? <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> At the end of the interview, I, I hear your your band are getting back together, and he's like, "Yeah, we've we're reuniting thirty five years afterwards." He's like, "Is it like no, like forty five years?" It's like from the seventies, this glam rock band, and they're called Snow, and he just starts plugging them. We've got an album coming out and all that, and like, I can, yes! and I was like, "What? What is it? Stephen Quadros? Come on, Quadros. He was he was on an album in the seventies, and he was like commentating in Pride, but." He was talking about right. How... I was just going to say Stephen Quadros needs to release um, um, an album called Quadrants, and it's just like eighties <laughs> um, synth. 
like, <laughs> just like Jean-Michel Jarre shit. And the front, the front cover is like this, like really brightly hued, like uh, geometric shapes, and just like. <laughs> Right. I was thinking like quadrants, like a, a companion piece to Hemispheres by Rush. I was thinking exactly. I was thinking a sort of yes. Power Windows esque Rush tribute. Yeah, that's yeah, best yeah. era of Sub-division. Rush as well. It's also a little known fact that the Who album Quadrophenia was actually named after Stephen Quadro. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Like the the thing is the thing is about the commentary in this match as well. They know it's not a real MMA fight. Like it's like, oh, right, this is just a bit of fun, and um... <laughs> they're totally taking the. Piss. This is like when at school at three o'clock on a Friday you used to get golden time, and you would just like you sit for an hour and you know do what you like. You know, like we've had all the real fights now. We'll have a bit of golden time. Emmanuel, you what's get... golden time? Did you never have golden time? Sounds like <laughs> sounds like getting pissed on for sexual. No. I mean, like essentially, <laughs> what it was is that at three o'clock, if we were really good, we got golden time, which essentially meant we didn't do any skill work. We literally just sat and played Doom or watched Happy Gilmore or something like that. Like you know, just anything mm. we wanted. It was it was good fun. We read Harry Potter and all that. Like just an hour to. You remember you used to get you know, you, you used to work in call centers, didn't you, Daniel? Remember you used to get your team brief. Yeah. Essentially, it was a team brief at school. That's what oh, it was. Mate, I was all about a team brief. I love for like, a team brief. Get me as many, as many briefs as possible. I want to be so briefed. Like, <laughs> One of the first things they say is, Daiju's got to use movement. I was like, you fucking thing. <laughs> now, the thing is, early on in this fight, Manny Yabra gets very annoyed by Daiju Takase's cowardice, but in fairness, if I had to fight a guy the size of Manny Yabra, I would do exactly the fucking same. I mean, yeah. it's like, total cat and mouse. <laughs> it's literally it, total it, it's literally, it's, it is literally it is, Tom yeah. and Jerry. Like, someone's going to do a run-in with a fucking rolling pin. Like, it's yeah. um, the, the great bit in the first round where um, Takase gets too close and just nearly gets bopped. And the crowd loses it. There's a terrifying moment where Manny Yarbo gets like a relative turn of speed up and runs for him. All the while, the fight professor, <laughs> Stephen Quadrophenia Quadros, keeps suggesting moves like, I'll oh, do a jumping yeah. spin kick or like, I'll do a flying triangle. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just quad. Like, because I, I don't know, because I've never actually looked into this, right? What are Quadros's um like? What 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 are his credentials? He took like, a lot uh, of speed if... during the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it was? Um, they actually went into this. Do you know what it was? Um, and he got sent. Yeah. He, sent, he got sent to do PR for K one, uh, the kickboxing, <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, like one time they just the the guy I think their commentator just like patched it and just didn't turn up or something like that. Like, Oh, and that's what it was. Is I think they were like, trying to expand and do like, an English commentary, and uh, they didn't have anyone, so they just went quarters. Do you want to step up? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, no problem. Because I think he did. That's what he did. Um, he was a. That's what it was. Um, he was a journalist for the, for various martial arts magazines. Like, I think it's Taekwondo. I think he was from Taekwondo. I think it's like, from something. Like that. Oh, because he he looks like he should write for Black Belt magazine and be yeah, one of those like wushu like. Um... He, like, you know, yeah, like, it, it, was you know? Like, it was like Taekwondo or Jiu Jitsu or something. I don't know if it was Jiu Jitsu, but it was like something like that. But he was part of the like the World Taekwondo Association and he was doing PR for K1 or mm-hmm. something like that. And they brought him in and, and he did commentary on it. But like, mm-hmm. th- there's a thing like, because when we were watching, the, we were listening to the Pride 1 review, Dan Severn versus Kimo Leopoldo in a time limit draw for 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And it was. 
spectacularly bad, uh, and like they don't even try to defend it. They're just like, this is dog shit. Like this is absolute dog. Like they're not, they're not oh, yeah, like, the crowd or anything like that. And like Michael Cole's trying to tell you, like this is the are uh, the uh, the awesome truth, the most dominant faction in WWE history. Like these are commentators, <laughs> like. Okay, they're not trying to hype everything up like Monday Night Football. If uh, if something is shite, they will call on it. If something's not meant to be particularly serious and just a bit of fun like this fight, they'll go for it. Like, this is basically Homer Simpson's boxing career, but with running instead of taking punches. Because, like, as we've said, like, um, Manny Arbor is a, a man of size. And, uh, you know... We, I, I a think, man of courage. Yeah, man of courage, and like I think, yeah, I think we're probably one of the the more the more fat positive uh, wrestling podcasts out there. But on the there are drawbacks to being uh, Manny Arbor's size in that it doesn't necessarily have a lot of stamina. And you need to be wedged at your house. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. But like, so Takase basically realizes, okay, hang on a minute, I can just wait for him to get tired. So he does a bit of showboating Rope with a board roll. Both yep. the odd leg kick there, do a bit of windmilling punches. It's 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 really bad showboating though, isn't it? It's <laughs> like it's really piss poor. Like it's a well, all he does is it, he's basically thinking, right, I just want to run away, which is fine as we discussed. It's a perfectly decent tactic. But what he's done is he's basically gone. Oh well, I'll tell you what I'll do is if, if when I run away, I do a little kind of flourish and a little uh, spin each time I do it and sort of cock my head slightly. They'll, they'll take my cowardice for um kind of um uh, puckishness, right? Being a wee and, wider, um, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just being like, "Oh, I got eight man, fucking come on!" In. Like, and it's like, it's, it's not. It doesn't work out like that. Because um, like, it just, it just looks like he's doing this kind of quite bizarre like dance or like ritual around him. Well, we, well we yeah, really can't stress this enough. I'm not joking. About the first three, four minutes of this, I literally to Cassie right, walking around him in a circle, just orbiting him. Like, yeah. he has a gravitational yeah. pull, and he's literally just orbiting, orbiting around this small planet. Does he does he think he's gonna like make him dizzy? Like it's 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 it's, 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 it's insane. Like you know, it's 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 a game plan. I will I, I, I yeah. will say though. I mean, like it is the spirit of Halloween. I mean, it's the twenty ninth of October. We are only two days away from uh, the biggest day in the golf calendar. Um, That's and, true. Uh, that and the Whitby Golf Festival. And the, and the Whitby Festival, yeah. Robert Smith's birthday as well. And the, and the anniversary of the invention of Snake Bite and Black. Uh... <laughs> we could go on. But, um, niche. niche. Niche, yeah. <laughs> With it coming up to Halloween, everyone likes to watch horror films at Halloween. Now, my favourite horror film is Alien, right? It terrifies me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm not yeah. a big into horror films. Good choice. They, don't, they don't really scare me. But I would have to definitely say my number two horror film of all time was Emmanuel Yarbrough versus Daiko Takasi. Because, <laughs> oh my God, it is terrifying whenever he gets near him and Yarbrough just <laughs> tries to paw him in the <laughs> entire crowd. <laughs> yeah. Might you say it's a Dai, Daiju versus Kaiju? Yeah, or if you get the billing for this Pride event, he'd have made even more money at the box office because that is... If this was to be in the fucking... This was what you built the show around rather than Takada getting marmalised by uh, Hicks and Gracie. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think I've mentioned this before. I, I would love to see a Manuel Yarbrough versus Big Daddy V. That is a genuine dream match of mine because I think that would just be one of the oddest encounters ever. And I think it would literally just be human conquerors. It would... <laughs> When we start our um our um uh, uh blob fighting promotion in Belarus, um, <laughs> what a callback! Which 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 regular listeners of the show <laughs> will um will will remember from a previous episode, then um, these things will come to pass. 
Um, Warty not. <laughs> it basically goes like that for um, and the Pride had this weird system where um, they I think they changed it for later fights, but it was a uh, ten minute rounds for the first few shows, yeah. and then they changed it so there were time limits. Oh, no, no, uh, the, there was a ten minute. The first show was an absolute free for all. I think there was like three or four different yeah. codes. So there was like ones that were five, three five minute rounds, one that was like three ten minute rounds, one that was one thirty minute rounds. There was one that was just no time yeah. limit. They were, they were kind of trying to see what fit, I guess, but like uh, it, it got onto like in the future it was 10 minute round and then a couple of five minute rounds. This, I guess, is 10 minute rounds because that's how long the first one lasts. And round two, um, it hots up in a manner of speaking. It does slow down. <laughs> Manny Yarbrough by this time is thoroughly pissed off with uh, Takase's tactics. He stands there with his hands on his hips, then um, um, Takase uh, gets put in the referee's book. He gets the, um, the famed pride Get him in the card. book! For, uh, Get him in the, the, book. the yellow card for non-aggression. I've just flashbacks to uh, Vinnie Jones at Mayhem with Mayhem in Manchester. Those <laughs> British can mix it with anybody! I mean, it was a, <laughs> it's going to be emotional. Yeah, emotional. I mean, it was a stonewaller penalty for me that, but um, apparently, you know, he just gave. Them, <laughs> I've seen him. I've seen him given. I've, I've seen him given. <laughs> well, you know, there's been a lot of action in and about the penalty area there. Do you know? But have seen Stanley Matthews Day. Uh, if he'd done that during, Stan, uh, during the FA Cup final with Blackpool and Stanley Matthews, I mean, they wouldn't. Uh, have, they wouldn't yeah, have got a yellow for yeah. that. Uh, uh, my club, Stoke City, pays me to keep fit. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the the match comes to uh, somewhat of a uh, of a head when um, Takase has the um, somewhat foolhardy idea. Yeah, ill-advised of, uh, he, is the word that I would use. Ill-advised, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, co- yeah. Suicidal would be another one. He uh, goes for a single leg takedown <laughs> and suddenly <laughs> Manny Arbor is on top of him trying to pull him in like um, like Jaws. And this is actually noted by the commentator. This is not my joke. This is actually what they say. He's trying to pull him into his... Uh, his grasp with like imagine a six hundred and fifty-two pound man on top of you. That is basically what's happening. Takase obviously is panicking somewhat. I mean, at like this at this point, when he goes for the single leg takedown, you can hear the entire Japanese crowd saying Japanese, oh for fuck's sake. Like Yeah. I mean yeah. I, 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 You know what it reminds me of? What? It 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 reminds it reminds me of um, the film Grizzly Man. Um in which <laughs> In which your man is, uh, you know, he's, he's hanging out with the bears and that, and it's all, oh, 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 I love the bears, me, and they love me, and we're all one happy family, me and the bears. And then fucking, by the end of it, um, he's been eating, hasn't he? He's been eating. Going <laughs> to Herzog's in, in his poor fucking, like, ex-girlfriend's house, saying, never listen to these tapes ever, you should burn them. Right? That's what happens here. Because he just, he, it, all it took was a one extra day for that guy to get eaten by those bears, right? And all he does is one little flounce too much and it's fucking over with. Like, who the fuck thought it was a good idea to fucking, like, I could, like, I could make a list of a million things that are better to, for him to do in that situation than go for a takedown on my yard. I mean, like, like, like a flying like, European uppercut or something like that, you know, like. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. Uh, run round him. Yeah. Run round him. I, <laughs> yeah. doubt his, I doubt his turning circle is very fast. Run round him and kick him in the. It's back. like his mum. Yeah. 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 Like it's, you're the, the Roman Reigns superstar yeah. from WrestleMania 33 against the Undertaker. <laughs> run against the ropes at six times and then just yeah, yeah. wire in. Because that makes him go faster. That makes him go faster. I think maybe um, looking at it psychologically, I think the yellow card kind of spooked him. It was like, oh shit, I better do something. <laughs> oh no, there was a giant fat man on top of me. So um, Takase gets gets out of it. 
how you would by yeah. um, sort of flailing away with punches to the head. His foot is still uh, trapped under. Then he has the idea of like, I'm going to beat beat this guy in his, in his knees, which are probably a bit delicate from carrying all that weight around. And then basically punches him in the head a lot of times and uh, Yarbrough taps out. This is definitely one of these fights where I think it would be in the UFC, it would have been stopped about a dozen blows to the head sooner, but... Uh, this is Japan, so whatever. Like, yeah. I'm not joking here. Like the commentators go for the when they say this, like the the tape they escape the tape down like the thing when he was on top of the ground and pound, it wasn't even especially hard to get out of. But Yarbrough is genuinely no, no. so fat that he cannot. He's got no he, idea how he to get up. He can't get up. Like he, he physically cannot get up and he can't move and it's just too it's just too much of an issue for him. And yeah, he has to tap out because he literally cannot get off the ground he can't defend himself because it's too big yeah. it's it's a it's the greatest example like a simple explanation visually of why weight classes are a thing and uh, <laughs> yes. are like basically I, needed but, but you can't look me in the eye and tell me that this wasn't gripping every second of this oh it's great fun it was can i can i let you in on something this was the first mma fight i ever saw <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Because, I mean, that's that's the thing, like, I mean, it's like, um, you know, um, one of the highest rated segments in Monday Night Raw history was Patterson and Briscoe versus uh, the Mean Street Posse. Because, simply because, like, you turn it on, you're like, oh, fuck, this is mad. Like, yeah, and that was basically my thing. Like, I wasn't interested in shoot fighting at the time. Like, you could have stuck me in front of, like, you know, um, Cain Velasquez versus Julio Dos Santos and I'm like, oh, this isn't that interesting. Give me this. But then one day when I saw Joey Abs, that all changed. <laughs> <laughs> you give me this, and it's just like, well, Jesus, this guy's really big. How is the little Japanese guy possibly gonna gonna beat him? But he bloody does. And um, this was, you know, it was a match that had no business happening. Manny Arbor definitely should not have been in MMA fighting. But you know, I it was pretty entertaining. There was, there was one point that I thought uh, <laughs> when I was watching this, where I knew this exactly. Like Pride weren't going for the the same demographic as UFC because at one point the no, crowd no. start chanting for Yarbrough as if this is a fucking Roman Colosseum. And like they're chatting on the lions <laughs> against the Christians, like I, I, was, I was mortified. I was like, "What? What the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you to sit and chant for this absolute mismatch? Like the bloodthirsty pricks! I couldn't believe it." Who do you think you are? <laughs> so yeah, that. Um, I w- I wanted to make a point though about the the fans and things though because we mentioned the commentary as well before, um, and that idea that like it's kind of almost as if. It isn't as if they are commentating seriously, and by that I don't mean that they aren't um, paying attention and, and 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 letting you know what's happening and trying to give insight. What I mean is that um, it is almost still at this point um, in the early days of MMA seen as something of a kind of um, a curio still, um, even to people in, that are into some kinds of martial arts. Um, and the way it's presented yeah. is almost this kind of cultural exchange with them kind of looking at this. And they, they often talk throughout about, um, you know, it's probably a load of bullshit, some of it, but like, um, they often talk about how um, certain things that are happening in the ring are, are like representative of certain parts of Japanese culture and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they also um, do buy into the whole fun side of it as well. They're not trying to sort of make you think that this is anything other than um, what it is, which is, you know, um, <laughs> quite the spectacle. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so I like that about, about yeah, Pride as well. It, 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 There's a kind of unassuming openness to it 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to our second fight. Now, this is one we should uh, really get into. So, um, it's the uh, 29th of April, 1999. Our old friend Nobuhiko Takada, with a professional fighting <laughs> record, and uh, this is in all the inverted commas, uh, <laughs> the uh, the quotation marks asterisk, in asterisk, the world. Asterisk. A a, a <laughs> professional fighting record of. Uh, one win and two losses versus uh, Mark Coleman with a professional fighting record at the time of six wins and three losses. Um, now, as I have mentioned in the past, Nobuhiko Takada was, he was a big pro wrestling star and the idea of pride was this is going to be a showcase for him to fight Hicks and Gracie. Once he lost to Hicks and Gracie, everyone was like, oh, he got his ass kicked. Um, are, are people going to take him seriously as a fighter anymore? No. Maybe we should build him back up. So they gave him a win um, against this guy called Kyle Sturgeon, who I think was a PE teacher from uh, somewhere in America. <laughs> yeah, he was he literally was. just a man. He's also left back Sam Menino. It was the most obvious work you have you have ever seen in your life. Well, but Takada did win. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Takada won the if fight. If you want to talk to me about works <laughs> and he, he he in his third fight he fought uh someone proper again and he lost that so obviously it was like okay, there's a pattern now now the thing is but it's um, about to be broken in the most glorious and heroic of fashion <laughs> we we should mention at the outset works in japanese mma uh predate pride uh one, one of the most famous examples before pride is uh in pancrase there was a um there was a fight between uh, Ken Shamrock, who was the uh, king of Pancrase, which is their heavyweight championship, he was defending the belt against Minoru Suzuki. In this fight, Minoru Suzuki became the first Japanese fighter to win a mixed martial arts title. However, the fight was a work because uh, a few weeks after this fight, Ken Shamrock was due to fight Dan the Beast 7 in a notoriously dull match in uh, the UFC, and Pancrase thought it would make their organisation look bad if the guy who was their champion lost to Dan 7, because Dan 7 at the time was a shoot-style wrestler for UWFI. So it would look bad if he lost to someone from a rival promotion, and particularly someone from a promotion they knew to be uh, worked. So what they did is they had Minoru Suzuki beat uh, Ken Shamrock for the belt, uh, in a work so you know it's works are nothing um they're nothing new in japanese mma there is there's a whole fucking uh cottage industry of um people trying to deduce which fights in pride were works and as we get into this one th there might be there might be a few places where we can see uh we can see them showing their working so to speak we see the joins yeah 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 um the one thing i wanted to well, mention is I think it's Pride 14 is the last mm -hmm. one with works. 1 to 14. Really? All as, have worked. As late as oh, that. Yeah, I've got works. But the, the whole idea, well, actually, we'll come on to it later, but there is an idea behind it that I kind of understand and kind of get on board with. Like, I kind of agree with works in this instance, but maybe not as, you know, as clear cut as, as this one. Yeah. Um, D Daniel, would you like to tell our, our lovely listeners, um, when you type in uh, Nobuhiko Takada versus Mark Coleman into YouTube, uh, what is the first video called? Uh, this is one of my favourite things in the whole world. Um, now, um, uh, 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 listeners, if you will, uh, let's do this at home. My hand is reaching out and touching your hand. Let's do this together, okay? So I want you all to type, um, um, if, if you will, um, just a Mark Coleman... Uh, and Takada into Google. Okay, ready? After three. One, two, three. 
And there it is. In at number one, it's Mark Coleman disgraces America. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Eight. Someone has uploaded this, with, with, and the only context they have put is just simply the words, Mark Coleman disgraces America, followed by this, which I think is the most glorious, glorious uh, subtitle of any YouTube video ever, which is Mark Coleman disgraces himself. Sport of MMA and the United States of America. Um, like, Mate, Mark but, Coleman can't disgrace America as much as America is disgracing itself at the moment. They're doing a pretty good job of that themselves. Yeah, but the, 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 these were different times, uh, you know. Uh, it was a glorious, a, a glorious. Slick Willie was in the White House. I know there was racial harmony everywhere, and you know, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety-nine, just a great time for liberal ideas. <laughs> The um so uh yeah Mark Mark Coleman he uh he had a very strong uh, fighting background he was a top level amateur wrestler as in like almost Olympic standard um if you ever seen the film uh Fo- yeah if, if you ever seen the film Foxcatcher um about uh, the U.S. amateur wrestling setup and all of the dodgy business around that uh he was part of that setup so he was he was legit as an amateur wrestler when you look at his record um six wins and three losses you might think oh that doesn't seem that impressive but all of his fights, uh, the vast majority of them were against, you know, pretty top level opponents. So don't let that fool you. Um, so as we as we may have intimated, Mark Coleman disgraces America. But why did he disgrace America? Well, because this fight did it. Did it both? Pretty the much. National anthem. Did he take a knee? <laughs> 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 but did, Mark, Mark Coleman um, basically took a dive in this match. Um, they, they, they may have realised that bringing in some PE teacher called Kyle was maybe not a legit opponent for to give Takada a, a sort of boon to his reputation. So they no, it's going to take more than that. Yeah. So they basically paid uh, paid Mark Coleman a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, payoffs in MMA were certainly not what they are now. Uh, they paid him a hundred thousand dollars to take to take the uh, dive, and uh, Mark Coleman was like, "Okay, this is going to put food on my family's table for you know." years um okay like i'll do it and uh you know i'll do what is best for business so to speak so uh yeah let's get into the fight and we'll maybe see if we can uh see see the joins takana gets a yellow very quickly um, <laughs> very one. very quickly <laughs> that's your one yeah i've seen them get actually one get get one on yeah. them early doors <laughs> let them know you're there um, or a juicer I know, set, but, set, the, uh, set the tempo, let the players know that you're not going to take any shit off of them. Let, let them know you're there, lads. Know, eh? Let them know some, you're there. Some rest are scared to give an early yellow, but this guy wasn't. Martin Keown of mixed <laughs> martial arts, not when he goes to Carter. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Coleman sort of almost gives him a spine buster very, very early on in the fight. And this is maybe the first point at we, which we can see them showing their working because Coleman is basically, after the spine buster, he is, he is in the mount, really. He is at least in a dominant position. Yeah. Takada's d- defence is not particularly convincing. Oh, it's clown shoes, mate. It's absolute clown shoes. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, you know... Okay, talk about the disgrace in America. That's a disgrace to fucking... Like the global citizenry of the entire planet. You, like, you could you could fit Ron Jeremy Schlong through the gap in his guard. Like it is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> noted noted pro wrestling guerrilla. Uh, fan lovely Ron Jeremy. Is too. And yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, friend of the so, show. <laughs> friend of the show. Coleman hits Takada hard in the ribs. He can get away with doing that in this fight. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna knock him out. Um, tries uh tries a neck crank and. 
Colt Coleman. Oh, wait, no, no, we need to talk about this neck crank. <laughs> we need to talk about this neck crank, okay? The point when you know this is like just moving into like absolutely absurd territory. If they missed punches because, like, earlier, because like... there's a point where Coleman yeah. just like completely <laughs> misses punches that are like, you know, you yeah. can fly a plane yeah. in between the difference. <laughs> And then it's like, okay, so maybe he's going to go for this head crank, which is like, but a wrestler like him is like a piece of piss. Like that should, that should, it should be over at that point. Like it's going to be, it's done. Okay. Like, um, conspicuously though, uh, he does, he he appears to only flex up so much, uh, when he's uh, got (laughs) this, uh, this neck crank on. And even, um, um, uh, 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 Quadros and Basron openly just going, why is he not finishing this fight? (laughs) Like, this is really weird. Oh yeah, they, they... (laughs) Just like Big Jock, they know. <laughs> yeah. Bass is really confused. Bass is Bless more him. confused than a dog in a shopping centre. Like, he... <laughs> he is no idea. He's oh, like, why Bass. are you not going for the finish? Like, and he's like, yeah, like, flabbergasted. So many people involved know this is a sham. Like, you've got these punches to the head that Coleman does. Didn't look like they put a dent in a cream cake. Um, <laughs> Coleman's... Uh, <laughs> Teammate uh, Mark Kerr, who was, if anything, an even stronger MMA fighter, um, he's in his corner looking like he just wants to fucking die. Like, <laughs> yeah. He... So, yeah, next part, next part, uh, Takada rolls onto his back to escape some punches. Coleman sort of attempts a choke and then kind of just lets him go. Yeah, that's one of the things I hate in pro wrestling, where they do a submission where there is no realistic way for them to get out of it, and then they realise, okay, they can't reach the ropes, I better just let it go, so because that's not the finish. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like the, uh, the yeah, he sort of, he slips out very theatrically, and then he tries to basically run away, and Coleman just uh, catches him. The, uh, the They even do a fucking, like, uh, World of Sports style, like, dramatic cliffhanger in that the bell for the end of the first round goes with uh, Coleman trying to get a Kimura locked in. So how very fucking convenient of you. It's absolutely absurd. It's really... But it, it is so obviously, like, um, so so obviously staged now when you watch it back. Um, but, like, you do wonder, at the time, surely people... Were there people that fell for that? Like, even, you know, in, in the stadium, do you think? Or... Because like, it's just, it's so blatant. <laughs> I think looking back on it now, with the benefit of so many more years of MMA history, um, and you know we know very much more what it looks like, I think it's very easy to look back at this and say, oh, this is, this is, this is so unconvincing. But, you know, it was still kind of in its formative stages, and people were used to watching uh, shoot-style pro wrestling. Um, yeah, I think yeah. there's, there was a little bit more of a uh, sort of, an ability to suspend your uh, your disbelief just because you know you and you're not like, at the end of the day um you're not looking for a work either that's the thing yeah um you know we we know the benefit of hindsight because uh, mark coleman you know he did interviews about it and said okay i took the money but it was to provide for my family mm. um but at the time i don't think anyone would have thought there was anything um untoward the other thing about this being totally fake is that like uh the start of round two is kind of like the uh, the second fall of a, a cmll uh, lucha match in that takada decides it's, it's time to start his big comeback so he just immediately opens up with some leg kicks and the crowd the crowd go absolutely <laughs> uh absolutely spare there's another moment in which coleman he counters a kick with a double leg takedown and the commentators just go oh he 
he could pass the guard here, uh, probably. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, wonder, yeah. I wonder why he's uh, <laughs> he's not doing that. And then Takada has hold of, hold of Coleman's arm, and then Coleman somehow ends up in an ankle lock. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how. He kind of just puts himself in it. and uh, Yeah, he got then, banana skinned into a clinch. Yeah, he, he got banana yeah. skinned into a clinch. A US national amateur wrestler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, to, just, just to give a some minor phrase no more than is necessary uh, to um to Cannon's uh, comeback and offense those kicks at least do make some narrative sense because um Coleman had had issues with uh, guys that liked to to leg kick uh, okay. before um as uh, quite a few wrestlers did then well sometimes depending on how they used to go about it uh, but yeah like um i think Pedro Hizo um gave him mm. a pretty torrid time over that um, and a couple of other people as well uh, they mentioned it on the um on the commentary yeah, so like that at least makes sense psychologically, um, and yeah, actually it does. <laughs> in true like great pro wrestling psychology, work the leg, and it plays into the finish because yeah. uh, Coleman taps out the said ankle lock. Very weird that they're in a wrestling ring, and uh, clearly there are no rope breaks because he's hands under the ropes. Um, but yeah. um, I mean, in pride, what they will do if a fight sort of spends too much time on the ropes, and we'll get to this when we come on to our next fight, they will uh, move the fighters back. Uh, to the centre of the mm, ring, yeah. but I mean there are no rope breaks in the sense in pro wrestling. If you grab onto the rope, the submission is broken. So yeah, uh, yeah, Coleman yeah. is forced, quote unquote, to uh, tap out to this ankle lock. Um, uh, too too many rest holds, three stars. That's what I've uh, put. <laughs> if I'm if I'm grading it, if I'm grading this as a pro wrestling match, because that's what it is. I mean, guys, was this was this so different to your average Takada match in UWFI? Was it any well, it's more not as, realistic? Well, it's it's not it's not as good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, uh, that's the thing. That, that, that's that, that's for sure. Like Th- uh, this is the thing that I wanted to mention. I was just going to ask you this: like, do you think if this had been done in UWFI, I think people would enjoy it? I think I don't. I, oh yeah, I don't yeah. think it'd be five stars. It's not best match on the card, or it's not. Um, I I don't know. I actually think that because this is kind of. Um, because Coleman in particular is a little unsure about how to go about these things, I think. Um, oh, yeah, it's quite hard to, to fake looking really more looking shitter than you are, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I um, mean, this was... You know, so there's that. This was the problem of uh, a lot of the uh, MMA fighters they brought into New Japan, is that they they were great uh, amateurs or like great fighters but they didn't know how to work this is the thing Mark Coleman isn't a trained pro wrestler yeah. he doesn't know how to work a, a shoot style wrestling yeah. match which is basically what he's being asked to do he's being yeah. asked to do a job I mean honestly if you um, if you if you watch something like say um, funny enough if you watch something like some of the Frank Shamrock um, matches from Pancrase um, yeah. like uh, and, and the chem ones as well but especially the frank ones a lot of those matches when they have these kind of um like they'll have a german suplex thrown in or something um or, yeah. so, or something like that and the the manner in which it it, it all seems like it, it, it's it strings together to the point that you don't feel too out of place when it happens and they go straight back into something else that carries on from it perfectly as well and kind of hides these things there's big huge gaps in what i would call the sort of the this this almost like the um, the acts of this work right you know yeah like, um, absolutely to me gateway halls and transitions um throughout sounds like a good night in yeah that's the thing it's not as good as uh I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, takada's fight against uh people like gary albright uh, billy scott Vader, even in uh, yeah gary albright a genuine menace Sorry, i forgot i forgot to call him that and um, really good shoot style wrestler i think mark coleman he could certainly have if uh, this was uh you know 
10 years ago, bring him in the UWFI, he could have uh, developed into a great shoot-style wrestler. Considering this is his first one, it's, it's mm. unconvincing as an MMA fight, but it's actually not too bad as a shoot-style wrestling match. Um, so this was the this was the point I wanted to make about this. Pride always kind of valued themselves on the idea that they are not out there to make a legitimate martial arts promotion. They're there to entertain. They're there to entertain. They're there to get people through the turnstiles, and they're there, as I said, to entertain. And to be honest, like they they appreciated the fact that to be honest, like they needed these works. I mean, to again to build up Takada because essentially they put all their eggs in one basket with Takada. Yeah. He was going to be the focus. He was mm. going to be the ace. And then he get Miller totally <laughs> totally wrecked. Try and find yeah. someone that can fight would be would be. A start, I mean, I yeah, you've got that. But um, like we we've put so much invested into this that people want to cheer Takada. They want they want to get behind him. They want him to win. The thing is, is that we we can yeah. do that. Um, and the crowd will be happy because at this point, as you said, this is the very uh, embryonic stages of like MMA. You know, like UFC had been around for a couple of years and things like that, but it was nothing. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't the Zufa um, either or anything like that yet. There was a lot of stuff to be ironed out, and mm. they were kind of playing with the formula, and they felt that I, I really don't. I really don't think that works were necessarily a bad thing at this stage. No, certainly no. at this stage, I think that's the caveat. Well, the other thing with the works is, as I said, it was a Pride 1 to 14, 14, 15 it was, it was around about that, and um, and then they stopped them because they realised that at that point they had enough legitimate fighters and people who, they had people they could put stock into, people like Akira Shoji and like Sakuraba and things like that, where yeah. All, yeah. you know, they were yeah. all coming through and you had all these like, foreign names and stuff like that, so they stopped doing the works because they realised that when you look at something like this, a real fight is much better. But they they had to, they knew they could put somebody into a real fight and they would do well. They didn't have to fudge it because the whole point was that these people were getting over. That didn't mean that they weren't fixing things, so to speak, because you'll see well, <laughs> this basically where Pride fell down. Pride. Let, let's just come out with it. They were funded by legitimate businessmen. Yeah, absolutely. What it was is that, like, the Yakuza, as some, you know, erroneous people might call them. Um, Never heard of them. Never heard of them. Don't know what you're talking about. No idea. I know, me and, my, me and my pal with the giant black trench coat covering up the tattoos, like, you know, he, he didn't have <laughs> any idea what they're talking about. But basically, like, the Yakuza were involved in Pride. And essentially, what it came down to the idea that what you would do is that later on when they moved away from the works they went on to fixing matches in a different way much like when we discussed with robot wars last week uh, um, a couple mm. of weeks ago where in the original series what they would do is that certain people would be put against in certain brackets against certain opponents so the whole idea is that they would get through to the grand final because they were given a bit of an easier time of it so like, later on what you found mm. is that because yakuza were running it what they would do is that they would kind of manipulate the brackets so to speak where you would get people who against fighters a bit like the takara kyle sturgeon thing where basically it was people who weren't so accomplished who could easily be beaten so to speak and the whole idea was is that the yakuza were very fond of pride purely because not only was it great entertainment um and they could you know fence money through it and things like that but they also liked to bet on pride so what yeah, they used to do, yeah. yeah they, what they used to do is they would take certain matches, we take certain fighters and put them up against people with a less than favourable record, and then bet on the guy with the good records. Um, it didn't always work, there was times, I mean they probably bet the house on Emmanuel Yarbrough but <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
but like, yeah, that was it. And, they, <laughs> and this, this is the problem. This is where uh, Pride fell down. And when, because like in most of the Pride shows, you can actually see like the head of the Yakuza um, in the shows in the front row. Um, he was very distinguished. He, he dressed in a very distinguished manner. And you, if you watch like several Pride shows in a row, you would probably notice this older guy dressed very distinctively. He was the head of the Yakuza. And then he, I think he died. I think, I think he died, and there was a power rift between the two. Uh, it kind of split off into two factions. Pride wanted to go with one faction, and then the other faction took umbrage to this, and then it got leaked out that they were involved with the Yakuza, and then all their sponsors and their TV company disassociated them. The, the main Yakuza... No one. I know. I mean, the thing is, is that like the Yakuza is involved in like so many facets of Japanese culture. They're involved in everything. Like, mm. If you have a business in Japan... Mm. You're probably going to find that it's you know involved the yakuza in some form. Um, in fact, I think the yakuza are coming for Daniel right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take things inside and a bit spooked. Yeah, I mean it's like you know like people were very upset about this uh, um, um, association, but I mean look at the, the uh, after Fukushima. Did you hear the story about Fukushima? Uh, yeah, yeah, they did a lot of uh, no, no, where, charity work, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, the Yakuza um, funded, uh, had um, mobilised a rescue mission before the government. So they flew all their helicopters and, like, you know, big, Masahiro Chono style Hummers. All the way, good bunch, good of, bunch lads. of lads. And they, they helped out because, you know, their ethos. And there is a really fascinating, you know, story behind it. I mean, if you ever want a good, uh, good read, there is so much literature on Pride and the Yakuza. Yeah. If if you want to know about uh, if actually uh, just on a side note if you do want to know about the Yakuza in Japan, uh, I can recommend the book uh, Tokyo Underworld by uh, Robert Whiting, which has a lot of stuff about uh, you know the man I'm uh, most interested in, Rikido Zan, but also about uh, the sort of modernisation of Yakuza practices after the war, in line with uh, what they were doing with the American mafia. It is very interesting. Um, Whereas I I learned everything I know about the uh, Yakuza from uh, Takeshi Kitano films. <laughs> Well, and that's a uh... yeah. That's another way. The other thing I would say is, if anyone ever wants to have a listen, um, it, Joe Rogan did a podcast once with Ensign Inoue, who who fought in Pride, oh. and <laughs> there is no way to. Do, I can't even describe him as a legitimate businessman because, like, the man is full yakuza'd up. He's yakuza'd out his nut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he is a yakuza yeah. hitman. That is that is what he is. Like, he's he's also a pride yeah. fighter, and I think he fought in New Japan. Is Ensign Inoue in New Japan? Or uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He has. Yeah, he, he had one of my. He had one of my favourite fights of all time against Frank Shamrock in um, yeah. it was one of the Valley Tudo tournaments. But um, mm. he he went on a Joe Rogan's podcast and basically spilled the beans about the about the Yakuza. I think I might put some of it in at the end because it's it's really oh, really fascinating. God. I mean, there's one point where he goes, "Yes, the Yakuza are involved in like child pornography, drug trafficking, and killing people, <laughs> but they have a lot of honour." I'm like, "Well, that's that's fine." <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. The um... Yes, yeah, it's, it's very. But I mean, it's, it's so fascinating, and yeah, I would all I would really recommend anyone who ever wants to find out about that. Ensign Inouye of Joe Rogan is a really fascinating look into it as well. So um, yeah, our, our next fight, um, we were talking about sort of things maybe not being uh, works, but certainly decks being stacked. Um, this next fight, the deck was stacked by not by the Yakuza, but by a uh, another uh, family firm, shall we, uh, <laughs> so to speak, uh, and that would be the people we mentioned earlier in this episode. The, uh, the Gracie family. And uh, going back to what we were saying about uh, Takada uh, 
they needed him to be the draw, the uh, the Japanese hometown hero. Um, and they had fighters come come up, like say Akira Shoji and uh, uh, Matsui, but also uh, the probably preeminent among these and the first Japanese fighter who had a great degree of real success in Pride is uh, someone we mentioned in our UDFI episodes um, as a great shoot star wrestler, but not a big star in UDFI, a mid-carder really, mm-hmm. but when he moved into MMA, he became legitimately a Japanese national hero, and that's Kazushi Sakuraba, who is yeah. here with a professional record of 8 wins, 1 loss, and 1 no contest against uh, Hoist Gracie with a professional record of 12 wins, 0 losses, and 1 no contest. So the undefeated uh, jiu-jitsu champion, I believe three-time UFC tournament winner, yeah. Hoist Gracie, mm-hmm. versus a Japanese professional wrestler. Now, when I talk about the deck being stacked against uh, Sakuraba, this means that... So this was a one-night pride tournament, eight, eight men, so three fights if you're going to win. Um, all of the fights were set for a 15-minute time limit, and then when it uh, would go to the judges, then they would adjudicate based on style control, damage, and aggression. Um, this ha- fight, however, the Gracie family insisted on it being a no-time-limit match because they mm. reckoned that uh, Hoyce's stamina was so great that he would be able to outlast any opponent. The Gracies were notorious for insisting on the rules being just as they wanted it and for the rules to favour their guy. So this match is set for no time limit and well, the other ones in the tournament went for a maximum of 15 minutes. This one goes for 90. That's right. N-I-N-E-T-Y. Good, good 90. job on that. <laughs> the, um, this is, the I believe, comfortably the longest fight in the history of the Pride Fighting Championships. They did have some go 14.50 in the early ones, but still, 90 minutes, we are talking Uncharted Borders. And I did watch all this in one sitting just to recreate the full experience. This is a bit of a marathon, so what we're going to do is I'm going to go through sort of very rapid fire what happens in each round, because uh, there's six rounds, and then we'll just sort of give some thought. So basically just be me reading my notes, really, so uh, just to show you behind the curtain. So one of the things I want to say, by the way, before we get into the actual match, is about the entrances. I didn't have it on the uh, weird, illegally uploaded version uh, that I uh, watched on YouTube, but basically what happened was uh, Gracie came out with the, the fucking uh, Gracie train, which is all the uh, sort of final members and acolytes. Sakuraba came out, and he used to wear this, I believe it's a super strong machine mask, that he would wear, yeah. it's like patterned off it, and he would come out wearing this mask because, like, he was like, "I'm not just your, you know, Japanese hometown fighter, but I'm a pro wrestler, and I'm a proud pro wrestler, and I really want to celebrate the heritage of he, it." He was on record quite a lot that he, when he was younger, he wanted to be Tiger Mask. That was that was his yes. dream growing up, was to be yeah. Tiger Mask. Yeah, but he ended he ended up in a dojo with Billy Robinson instead, getting mashed up. But, basically, uh, the opposite experience. So basically, what he did, he came yeah. out and he had two people, I guess, from the Takada MMA dojo, come out wearing the same super strong machine mask. This sort of freaked Hoist Gracie out a bit. It was basically like three card monte. It was like, which one of these is uh, Sakuraba? So Gracie starts sort of like making eyes at the uh, the one in the centre, always looking as though he's going to square up to him. And uh, it turns out Sakuraba is the one on, on the left. So at that yeah. point, he's, he's already sort of got into Hoist Gracie's head. As we shall see as this match goes along, this is not just a marathon of a 19-minute MMA fight. Hoist Gracie, the jiu-jitsu master, undefeated MMA fighter is not only beaten by a Japanese professional wrestler but comprehensively outclassed yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. that that is the main takeaway so let's get into it so we go for uh, round one Gracie rushes in with some punches some 
nice takedown defense from Takada, and uh, there's some knees from Gracie in the clinch. Get used to me fucking saying that, because there yeah. will be a lot of clinching before this night is done. Uh, Sakuraba just sort of looks a bit bored, shows him off, and goes for a dominant position. Gracie grabs a leg and goes behind, and Sakuraba gets Gracie's arm sort of... I don't know if you noticed this, he sort of gets him uh, his arm tied up in the ropes, like that sort of Minoru Suzuki, like, arm bar, like, which is apparently legal. So, mm-hmm. if Tajiri had come into MMA and wanted to do the tarantula on someone oh, in pride, that would have apparently been uh, been fine. Um, another yeah. thing to, <laughs> that really grabs you in this first round, actually, is not just uh, Sakuraba's technical ability as a fighter, but his durability. Mm. Gracie does whack him with a lot of punches to the back of the head. And uh, Sakuraba just, uh, he doesn't care a few kidney punches for good measure. And then uh, again, you know, doesn't particularly care. Um, And uh, Gracie does have a little bit of a complaint about Sakuraba hanging around in the ropes. Um, Again, there will be a lot of Mm. hanging around in the ropes in this match, usually with Sakuraba with his back to the turnbuckle. They go into the corner a lot. Gracie trying mm-hmm. to do something with him, but not really uh, being able to. The Toru Yano skill of mixed martial arts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Break, He's just break, like, break. Shout, shouting this... great. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah Gr- Gracie with a, a go behind. Sort of some knees to the bum as well at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you picked up on that. I, I don't think that was uh, taught in the uh, the Carl Gotch uh, training manual. S- Sakuraba loves a um, an arse reference in his matches. Um, absolutely, the, the odd pat of the arse occasionally, um, or a, a deliberate shot on the arse. He's a big fan of both of those things. Later on, there's there's a, a reference to that um, when he pretends to scan um, Gracie. He just <laughs> pretends to sca- pull down his his gi trousers. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. It's so nonplussed. We'll get to any and all sort of Horseplay. shenanigans yeah. with uh, Gracie's attire in, in later rounds. There is a, there's a nice judo throw from uh, Sakuraba. Little punches in this round. There's some interesting submissions as well, actually. So there's a rear naked choke attempt, but also Gracie, he tries to get an arm and he goes for a sort of, you know, where uh, the submission, the trailer hitch. In wrestling, the one Jamie Noble used to use. It's, it's kind of like a figure four, but they're on their front instead of their back. So he, he goes for one of those. As the round ends, they don't really land many blows on each other, but they're sort of feeling each other out, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Both of these men, I think if this was just a one-round match, there would certainly be a lot more urgency. But both of these men know that they can they can take the time. Yeah, that, that's round one. So fairly even, I think, really, as far as that goes. <laughs> round two is, if anything, even less eventful. I've got written here, the most interesting thing in the first few minutes of the fight is they uh, cut to a guy who uh, looks like Eric Clapton. No, is Eric Clapton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it actually? Yeah, actually I said it, Clapton. They don't mention it as him. Oh, for fuck's sake, really? And Anoki <laughs> as well. No, actually, because I was like, is that is that fucking Eric Clapton? And they go, Eric Clapton. Is that old slow hands? Eric Clapton. I'm surprised he allowed himself to be caught in the middle of so many people who are not white and English. <laughs> I think there were black people on this show as well. He, he hates yeah, that. Yeah. He hates black people. <laughs> which is a, which is which is ironic for someone that's nicked his entire career off the off the work of black musicians. Yeah, what was that um rock against racism saying like who who shot the sheriff, Eric? It certainly wasn't you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from rock I would, I would just say to add yeah. at this point, allegedly. Yeah, no, no, the, no, no I, it's, I, it's all documented. <laughs> I'm not having allegedly, I'm gonna overrule this allegedly. When yeah. when you have when you have a man who like during one of his sets started shouting wogs out at the uh, <laughs> the audience. I think we could say there is documentary proof Eric Clapton is a gigantic racist. (laughs) 
Setting the boogers back. Setting the boogers back. <laughs> but I mean, like the version of I, I did like the version he did of that with Steve Winwood on keyboard. So that was. What said the boogers back? Okay, then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, so yeah. I mean, this is. <laughs> Uh, I think we all need to collect ourselves, but this is the uh, yeah some of the weird things like just the weird celebrities you get uh, you get over like a uh, guy who is apparently Eric Clapton and not a lookalike. So uh, thanks for uh, thanks for setting me straight. And the Nokia's are there as well. You see a Nokia in the same round. Yeah, oh, and Nokia's all over this shit. The other people uh, who I guess yeah. um, act as uh, seconds for their fighters, you have uh, Takada li- living vicariously through <laughs> Sakuraba. Like, oh, I wish yeah. I could actually like fight a Gracie and be competitive. And also the, the absolute Don in the corner of uh, Hoist, um, Helio Gracie, the uh, the father yes. of uh, Brazilian yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, 193 he- years old, <laughs> doesn't look a day over 150. And a, a dead ringer for Peter Cushing. <laughs> Yeah, there's just going to be a CGI Helio Gracie on uh, the next Rising show, I hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got. He's, um, he's a terrifying looking man, though. Um, he's he's he, he's one of those people that looks like he's he should be dead, but because he's so hard, he just won't die. So like nature's basically gone right. We'll come. We'll come when you're ready. We'll come when you're ready. Then. So he just keeps going. He's like his eyes are hollowed out. Like ever. It's terrifying. Like, it, yeah, it's just, it's just like you know when uh, May Young got taken off life support and then just lived for another week. Just because like <laughs> the, the Grim Reaper's like, I'm I'm not fucking touching that one. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I lo- I also yeah. love that Takada uh, like he sort of comes over when they're in the clinch and just starts pointing at Gracie's knee as if to say, Hey, target his knee yet? Yeah, yeah, cheers, Nobuhiko. Yeah, I think I've, I think I've <laughs> yeah. got this. I've got this. Don't worry. It's like your child's football coach. It's like you know, my mate used to play youth football at the end knock of the it, game. Knock at, it, knock at it. The, the game they've they've lost, and the the coach just came over and went, "Lads, I told you to win, <laughs> and you've not won." <laughs> <laughs> just like Takada's there with some really obvious advice. Um, Sakuraba then gets bored and uh, starts uh, lifting Gracie's gear. <laughs> so basically. It's oh my god! Like that's the thing. Like um, Sakuraba is basically like, okay, I've got this guy where I want him. I'm going to start having a bit of fun again. Going back to it being pro wrestling jujitsu, he's like, yeah. Not only am I going to uh, fly the flag for professional wrestling, I'm going to sort of disrespect the uniform of the jujitsu player. And so that's what Mm. he starts doing. As well as that, it's it's a pretty good tactic because uh, if Gracie's got like fabric over his head he's not he's not going to uh, be able to fucking see. One thing I was going to mention actually is that interestingly this is along with the time limit thing uh, this is one of the uh, very shad and freud moment because I believe that it was the Gracie's I think geese were banned in pride and the Gracie's fought for it and told them that they wouldn't fight if they weren't in geese because they felt mm-hmm. that this gave, gave them an advantage. And then the entire match, Sakuraba just, like, clings on to the gi and just pisses about with it. And, like, it's... It definitely doesn't. This is why rugby players wear uniforms nowadays that are skin tight. Exactly because if you're trying to tackle someone and stop them getting through the try line, if you have a shirt to grab onto, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you a bit of purchase. I thought it was just because they were hot-time party boys. I mean that's well. Oh, well, that too, obviously. Like oh, that, right, that yeah. goes without fucking saying. Just, just check. Oh, the the best part about this. So I mean, leaving aside, because I mean, there's sort of 
attempts at kimuras and knees and punches. But what we really want to talk about is the stripping. The, the thing is <laughs> that when uh, Sakuraba, Woo, take um, it off. when Sakuraba sort of starts. Uh, stripping Hoist Gracie. Now, it occurs to Helio, and you would think Helio Gracie, being the, the patriarch of the Gracie family, the man who founded Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, would be uh, aghast and uh, appalled wanting to get yeah. in there and fight himself at this uh, flagrant yeah. disrespect of the uniform. He's no. just having a proper old chuckle, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he loves it, yeah. <laughs> He's having a, such a laugh. <laughs> oh, he, he can't get enough of it. Like, but this is the thing, is that um, people like Helio... They would have understood to a certain extent this idea of the showmanship and stuff because Helio Gracie used to fight in stadiums in Brazil in matches against like judokas and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is why I always kind of balk at this notion that there is this clear separation between sports entertainment and, uh, and, and, and you know, pro wrestling and mixed martial arts is that those guys in those days, there wasn't much to promote those fights. Um, you had to sort of get people to say word of mouth that were there and then see stuff on the news or whatever if, if you could watch them. So that kind of those kind of antics, he I bet he did some of that shit back in his day as well. Uh, well, this is, this is the other thing that's important to note about this is that uh, there is a great parallel between uh, Helio Gracie's fight with Kimura. Yeah. Where yeah. Rio, de, Rio de Janeiro, where Kimura went and basically snapped his arm twice. And then they threw in the towel on the third snap, like when he was going to snap it a third yeah. time. And basically, was the first ever. I think he's the first ever person to beat a Gracie. Something. Yeah, like yeah that. absolutely. He's a Japanese icon. Actually, David, it just so happens that you can read about this another uh, other instance in the upcoming novel, The Rise and Fall of Rikidozan, by uh, George Twig of this very parish. Never heard Absolute of him. Absolute textbook. I know. I. Never it wasn't even shoehorned in. Like you gave me, you gave me an opening, and I filled it. So um, towards the end of the round. Um, Gracie looks like he's going to go for a guillotine. Uh, Sakuraba kind of just has his hand on his ass and is uh, trying to uh, not only <laughs> rob him of his gi, but rob him of you know the black belt, the very symbol of his his proficiency. Now Helio is having a bit of a laugh. Hoist Gracie looks mad. Oh. He is, oh my god! Like that is a look that, unlike uh, jet fuel, can melt steel beams. <laughs> on to round three at this time we can sort of gain the sense that Gracie is beginning to struggle he's not in half an yeah. hour he has not really been able to get Sakuraba in a position where he looks like he is particularly going to get knocked out or tapped out or anything like that and moreover Sakuraba is comfortable enough uh, that Gracie isn't going to give him any trouble that he can engage in these uh, sort of shenanigans so, um, on to round three. Hey, guess what we start with, lads? More clinching. Hey, yeah, you, 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 you love, you hey, love, love some clinching. The, uh, there is actually a bit here, like, um, uh, Sakuraba, he gets a ticking off for an accidental low blow. Uh, Gracie sells his balls and one of his, uh, corner puts a stool in so he can, uh, sort it on it, trying to wiggle his, uh, testicles from, uh, down, sort of down near his armpits. Um, now... From the replay, it does look as though the the strike was higher than his cock, unless he is amazingly well hung, and I don't have any evidence to the contrary, so I can only assume that Hoist Gracie is hung like a can of Pringles. Give, give him the benefit of the doubt. That's <laughs> what I do. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, um, ab ab absolutely. You know, Think the best is, of everyone. Give him, give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Is there any reason I cannot award the try? You know, that's the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now... Welcome to Dickie Bird's Greatest Cricketing. <laughs> that Curtly Ambrose was both a wonderful cricket player and an absolute gentleman. <laughs> that that Dickie Bird VHS tape is 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 like what Metropolis by Fritz Lang is to some people. 
Oh, it's, it's more influential than that in my direct life. Uh, in my day-to-day existence. Anyway, that's we shouldn't have opened up that can of um, Yorkshire-shaped umpire worms, should we? That, that can of... That's the thing, I live in, I live in, uh, I live in Leeds, like, I mean, it's lucky I've got my headphones in, because, like, if you say Dickie Burr's name three times, you'll summon him. <laughs> he just pops up behind you with a bag of director's sausages in one hand and a pint of milk in the other. Like, I think they were looking for these, lad. You dropped something. Please stop. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is we, we, this is silly. We should talk about something serious, like yeah, we should talk about something so crazy. Yeah, yeah, something incredibly serious, like um, Hoist Gracie going going for like a sort of leg sweep and completely fucking failing yeah. <laughs> again. This will be a uh, theme we uh, return to later. There's also a bit where. Gracie is very clearly rattled in this round. He's frustrated that he's had thirty minutes thinking, "Well, geez, this guy isn't this guy isn't getting tired." And not mm. not only that, nothing I do is troubling him. He actually rushes in at one point, basically gets fucking matadored. Um, <laughs> Sakuraba's like, "Nope," just dodges. There's also a point at which Gracie sort of he starts trying these sweeps, and he sort of falls onto his. Uh, his back sort of Inoki style, really, you know, the notorious spot where he would fight from his back with uh, a lot of leg kicks. Sakuraba mm. just sort of leans back against the ropes casually like some some greaser in a, uh, in a high school movie. <laughs> against a jukebox or something like that. Bangs a yeah. can machine and just, like, all the cans and the money fall out. Right. Yeah, he's just like, what you, wait, wait a minute, do you, do you mean to say that if we don't return Dean Boner's certificate to his office, we're not going to be able to play <laughs> in the big football game? Man, fuck Dean Broders. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wanted to mention something to yourself at this point because I, I took a note of this. See in between the rounds. Do you know what the song was that they were playing? No. It's the theme from WCW Thunder. Oh my god, what? <laughs> Because I heard it and I was like, I know that song. Where is this song from? Yeah. And it, it, I heard it. Because I heard it in the other one, the one of the other matches when I listened to it, and I was like, I know this. What is it? And then a couple of rounds passed, and I'm like, it's it, it is legitimately the theme from Thunder. <laughs> like, and you go back and listen to it. It is. And the only reason I know this is because it's in the WCW game. So that's like the menu music. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the music from Thunder. And it is. It's and I. I the mind boggles as to how that ended up in the Pride Library. Did you think the gambler was about to come out? <laughs> Next up is three five-minute rounds. It's Barry Darso versus... <laughs> Hardcore hack! <laughs> what I want is, like, um, you know, you talk about the old WCW video games, you know, when, like, if you hovered over the character on the select character select screen, oh, they used to like give right you one. a little spiel on why they should pick you. Do that for Takada. Is like, why should you pick me? Well, I'm contracted to win this one, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's Alex Wright, the German. <laughs> the uh, it's 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 poor tactics in this uh, in this round really from uh, from uh, Gracie. Like he's uh, he goes for the sweeps and. Uh, 
not only that, but he telegraphs his flurries of strikes uh, so much that Sakuraba has ample time to retreat to his favourite uh, place of the corner. One of the things, actually, we do get for the first time in the matches that we are reviewing on this podcast. Now, uh, one of the things you may know is that UFC has certain... It's not a, a free-for-all, uh, you know, bare-knuckle fight, despite what some people would have you believe. There are things you can't do. You're not allowed, for example, to bring an elbow strike. You know, what's called a 12-6 elbow, so it's just a vertical elbow right down on somewhere. You're not allowed to do that. Pride was a little bit lax, so if you wanted in Pride, you could just, like, soccer kick someone if you wanted. Um, There's more... Knee them in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah, a Jorg Alberts penalty. Right yeah. to the mush. The Scottish equivalent of Julian Dix in uh, English football, I I believe. This isn't as horrifying because it's uh, uh, Sakuraba's attempting to kick his knee. It was still smart, obviously. There's there's also a huge overarm punch attempt uh, at one point by Sakuraba in this. Yeah, it's uh, massive, that. He's clearly like feeling a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more comfortable with his strikes. Mm. As round three ends, they are, of course, back in the corner. Yep, 45 minutes to go. I must point out at, at this point, I did go get a drink at this point, and I really desperately needed a slash. This sort of gives you a an indicator of how long this uh, fight was, because <laughs> I didn't need a slash when it started. Hogwash. Why, I once watched Gentleman Jim Corbett fight an Eskimo fellow bare knuckle for 100 <laughs> <laughs> In the 50 rounds, we demanded our nickel. <laughs> that is a, a gourmet uh, Simpsons reference, that is. It is good. Round four, Gracie has... Uh, there's another Inoki sighting. Uh, Hoist Gracie at this point has just decided, like like a uh, sort of drunk student... Has Eric Clapton gone yet? Or is he still there, <laughs> do you reckon? Oh, no, God. He's, he's, actually, he's went into standby mode Aye. and he's actually just replaying the Rivers of yeah, God yeah. again in <laughs> his head. He's got to score some smack and then watch uh, and Tommy Robinson's on the uh, on YouTube live at seven. So. <laughs> Look at the shape of the uh, Enoch, you got me on my knees. Uh, so, so um, Gracie, Gracie realizes like a uh, drunk student on a bar crawl. I'm not getting my shirt back on at this point. Like it's, <laughs> things have things have Tap's gone up. too far. Um, there's Tap's a great up. bit as well where uh, Sakuraba even uses it as a tactic. There's one point uh, where Gracie tries to tuck his gear in and Sakuraba moves towards him, so he stops. <laughs> like, stop trying to dress yourself, Gracie. We've got, uh, we've got a fucking fight to happen. Um, I, it's, it's the old, it's the old high school tactic of ah, Major Flynn. <laughs> you know that way where you, you like throw a punch and you go ah, Major Flynn. It's more valuable it's than, than a thousand knockouts because yeah, there's a real humiliation in the flinch. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the law, law of the schoolyard in, uh, in, in this. <laughs> yeah. um, so Gracie does. Um, <laughs> Uh, his takedowns aren't particularly uh, successful uh, in this round. He does, uh, and uh, his knee bar isn't uh, particularly successful. What I would describe is uh, he's sort of nibbling at Sakuraba uh, mm, by mm, this mm. point. Not in a sort of he's not going to have a hickey after the uh, after the fight. Um, but you know, um, in fact, if anyone is, if anyone's skin ends up uh, opening up, it's uh, Gracie is actually bleeding below the eye at this point. I'm mm. not sure what from. It might be from that absolute bolo punch of a strike that uh, Sakuraba <laughs> threw in the uh, in the last round. But um, the physical damage is starting to tell now. Mm, mm, um, mm. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't have much. Um, there's a. He does the old Inoki tactic. There's a sidekick, but um, he's actually using the Inoki tactic to. Um, I think there's one point Sakuraba throws a punch and sort of uh, Gracie goes onto his back. 
so he's actually using it to to dodge and um mm. yeah it's it's actually comical how little effect his stuff is uh having on sakuraba he gets him on the ground sakuraba um uh bounces back up <laughs> the round actually ends with sakuraba just sort of sitting on gracie trying to do stuff with his legs <laughs> but it's 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 worth pointing out at this point that like um some of the stuff that Sakuraba's doing is incredibly smart and kind of ingenious at the time as well. Yeah. Uh, because he's essentially using um, a lot of old school catch wrestling um, to um, kind of sort of confront and, and kind of um, fight back against uh, what at the time was seen as a very kind of um, modern in some ways, even though it's old in origin, um, hybrid system of, of yeah. fighting. He's doing things that you were just told not to do against Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys because at that time there was people writing manuals about how to defend yourself against Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys and stuff, you know, because it was like people wanted to know. Um, and it turned out that um, techniques that are hundreds of years old um, um, at that point were yeah. pretty effective. He does things like he allows him to take him, almost not entirely take his back. He doesn't let him get hooks in or anything, but he lets him get around the back of him um, on many occasions and try and part his hands um, from in front of him to try and get some sort of access to his waist. Um, mm. And then he just swings right round again um, into looking for these like uh, weird little like Kimuras from the front and things like that. And he's always doing something. He's always working on something uh, to kind of um, discredit and kind of um, put off uh, Gracie from whatever he's doing. And he's not used yeah. to fighting guys like that at this point. Even even like when he is in a hold from Gracie, I think it's maybe the second or third round, but there's a point where it's a pretty iconic moment where Gracie has him in a hold and Sakuraba just starts... There's a big smile on his face. Yeah. It's a big humor. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out, well, uh, he, like later on, people ask him about this, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was just saying hello to a cameraman across the room." <laughs> and I was like, "We're in the middle of a fight with, with you know, amazing hoist crazy." Yeah. And he's just like, "All right." <laughs> like, I mean, and like even stuff like that is putting off, like because the whole point is, I think with the Gracies, I think they feel that you're, they feel that your attention should always yeah. be on them mm. because they're so dangerous. And he's like, you know, saying hello to cameramen and all yeah. that, and just passing. That, that about actually it. sums like the two parts of Sakuraba up, like what you two guys just said. Actually, mm. yeah, you know, he was a fantastically. He's he's a good striker. Uh, he's good at his submissions, but like you know, yeah, yeah, his, his background, yeah. he's a catch wrestler. His nickname was the IQ wrestler. Mm-hmm. And uh, but also he's quite a wacky guy. Um, he would play these little mind yeah. games, as we said, with the mask, saying hi to the cameraman. Uh, he once stayed up till three a.m. The, the night before a big fight playing Pokemon, which is probably like the most Japanese thing, <laughs> like yeah. um, anyone has ever done. And probably my favourite example of Takuraba's fucking around. In this uh, in this match, it actually happened around five. He very quickly gets into a dominant position on top of Gracie and throws the Hiroshi Tenzan Mongolian chop. Unbelievable! Yes. Unbelievable! The very fucking fact so that he did that strike, which is I'm sure a Mongolian chop would hurt, but at the same time, if you are trying to you know get a strike in the guard, it, you know it doesn't very much happen when you are trying to get through someone's guard. You're not going for their chest. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're going over the guard or through it, you're going to go for their face. And if you're trying to go round it, you would go for their for their sides, try and get a kidney punch, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You you very rarely see it, someone punching an MMA fighter in the chest because hey, it t- turns out your chest bone is pretty fucking hard. Mm-hmm. It's pretty it's pretty durable. The fact that you did the Hiroshi Tenzan Mongolian chop because Sakuraba was notorious for incorporating pro wrestling moves into not just catch wrestling but pro wrestling as well like yeah. just having a little bit of fun it did come around to bite him on the ass on occasion but the fact that he feels so comfortable like more than an hour into this fight now that he can just mm. throw this very very silly strike and uh just know that 
he's not going to face any repercussions from it is uh, is amazing. This is his old MO was that he went into like shoot fighting because he wanted to prove that pro wrestling was legit and that like, a pro wrestler could be a good shoot fighter. What's that phrase? Yeah. He made famous pro wrestling is strong, isn't it? Yeah, that's abso- absolutely mm. right. That That's a very famous phrase, actually. Josh Barnett on a UFC Japan show a couple of years ago said that. Yeah, his, I remember uh, that. In his uh, post I was delighted promo. when he said that. Well, yeah. they share a trainer, don't they, Billy Robinson? Yeah, so that, that's the other thing to mention, actually. Billy Robinson from episode nine, pro wrestler, trained Sakuraba, you know, trained mm-hmm. him how to fight mm-hmm. because, you mm-hmm. know, wrestling is a legitimate uh, a legitimate discipline. There's there's some more puzzling uh, uh, tactics here, like Gracie's trying to get... I mean, you two guys have watched... I should say at this point, I'm not an MMA expert. I watch a bit. Uh, you guys watch more than I do. Could you enlighten me as to why Gracie's trying to get a grip, a grip on Sakuraba's wrists? Uh, sort of. Um, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> okay, talking... I'll, ta- I'll take sort of. You're talking about the bit where it's basically the, there's that happening and not a lot more for about... It's like a, a minute or so. No? Yeah, round five, part. yeah. Basically, I think at this point, it's a funny one, this, because usually this idea of like wrist control is kind of discredited by a lot of um, instructors and coaches these days for various different yeah. reasons. Uh, but I think what's happening is he's trying to control the wrist purely because I think that he's a little bit scared of the kind of Kimuras and things that um, Sakuraba's been going for. And whereas previously, he'd be quite happy with another with an inferior opponent, I think, to let them have some, some hands-free, maybe try and let themselves maneuver out of it so he can look for an opening. I think at this point, he's genuinely not sure what's going on with Sakuraba's offense. And he's trying to make sure he can't thread the hands through anywhere else, basically. Yeah. But it's it's not something that is characteristic of Gracie at this point at all. I'm sure he, he had a much more sophisticated idea of what he was trying to do than than me guessing. Yeah. Uh, but um, that's what it looks like to me. I think gr- maybe Gracie has been watching his Junaki Ama tapes and he knows that an Owen Exploder can do some well. But sometimes you need to put the wrist clutch in there to the wrist clutch Exploder to yeah. <laughs> to get the, f- the, the, the full damage on there. Mm, mm. A, a wrist clutch is like a silver bullet. Uh, for uh, for wrestlers like yeah. Puro has uh, has taught us this. I, I think the thing about like this sort of idea of like a double wrists clutch uh, is yeah I think it's like mm. what you say is maybe something people used to do back in the day. You don't particularly see it so much anymore. Certainly I've watched more modern MMA, so you know you don't necessarily see it. So okay, that's that's cool. I've, not only do our listeners learn things, I learn things as well because I don't really know mm-hmm. what the fuck I'm talking about. There's also a really comical bit where uh, Sakuraba. That's another thing in uh, Pride, if your glove came loose, and actually I think they do this in the UFC as well, if your glove comes loose, you are allowed a bit of yeah. uh, a bit of a timeout to put it back yeah. on. Sakuraba needs his glove, glove comes out, back. Oh, yeah. uh, Gracie just has to lie there, because... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, they reset. Yeah, you can't use it to gain an advantage, because that's against the rules. So he just has to lie there on his back, thinking, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, lads. I was also going to point out something else at this point as well. This is the point of the match when it begins to become, become apparent that... You have to remember that um, one thing we haven't even mentioned about Pride yet, which is kind of strange, actually, is that um, if you've never seen Pride before, uh, Pride is happening in a wrestling ring or a boxing yeah. or a, it's a similar size ring to yeah, a wrestling ring a or a boxing ring. So, therefore, uh, you're not getting the same kind of... Um, it's got a, a very different kind of um, set of physics to it um, than some of the fights would have, say, later on when things became more often staged in sort of cages, okay? So... Yeah. Um, one of um, our fr- friend of the show um, and a uh, uh, fighter from Newcastle, a um, uh, friend of um, ours, O'Connor, he yes. um, he was telling me that, because I asked him once, I said, Connor, like, you know, um, what do you prefer to fight in? Do you prefer to fight in a ring or do you prefer to fight in like a cage? Because he's done MMA and he's done like K1 and stuff. And he said, oh, he goes, um, he said he much prefers to fight in a cage for MMA um, simply because um, he says that trying to work out 
um, whereabouts the ropes are in relation to your back and making sure that you don't fall just a little bit too much one way or get or trip up. You know, it's like you said, it's just really confusing um, mentally. So um, I imagine for like a 90 minute long fight, um, there must just come a point when like this constant having to just check on your surroundings and your bearings and try and fight off this like <laughs> incredibly world-class fighter that's attacking you must become really like mentally straining. I can't. I can't imagine what it it does to you psychologically having to uh, having to fight for this long, because uh, I mean mm. Sakuraba never had a fight anywhere near this long. Hoist Gracie himself, although they had insisted on no time limits, he wouldn't have had a a fight this long before. Because not, as we say, not not yeah, not since he was in his teen years, probably when he was training. <laughs> like, yeah, like, twelve wins in a no, twelve wins in uh, a no contest. You know, yeah. he, he he was pretty pretty dominant in the the early UFC tournaments where he earned most of his. Uh, wins against people of the uh, he didn't fight Manny Yarbrough but let's just say people of his ilk um, yes. and uh, <laughs> the other thing um, uh, again we talk about the uh, soccer kicks um, I know I'm not a yank but they did call them soccer kicks uh, so I'm having to sort of stay with yeah. the uh, ter- terminology Fatback kicks, Fatback kicks. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it's uh, Rizzle Kicks is uh, Scottish Tribute Act so, um, it's Rizzle Kicks Rizzle kicks, I know that's very twenty fucking thirteen. <laughs> for you, that's topical. That's pop culture for you. <laughs> Considering one of my favourite uh, recording artists is Dmitry Shostakovich, then yeah, I think you're. Uh, I think that's a fair cop. Um, the other thing that you can do, you can do soccer kicks. You can also just do a fucking stomp. And uh, the end of this round yep. comes when Sakuraba just misses a flying stomp to the face, and yeah. the round ends just before you can do another one. So. Yeah, Gracie at the time must be thinking, shit, 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 shit. Like, he really is under the cosh now. Like, every single yeah. round ending, it's gone from being in the clinch to Sakurawa being in a dominant position to Gracie nearly having his uh, face uh, mashed like that guy in Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 15 minutes to go, lads. Uh, round number six. So let's get into it. By this point... Sakuraba is in a dominant position from the absolute off, mostly grappling. There were a few huge swipes from uh, Sakuraba. Gracie can't get much besides uh, heel strikes. Um, there's some leg kicks from Sakuraba and uh, even leg kicks on Gracie's legs as he tries to get to his feet. So he, you know, he doesn't even have that time to recover. Um, Sakuraba, he grabs the gear again and hauls him down by it. Again, we're going back to this ridiculous uh, idea that it would somehow give you an advantage like that really i think is uh erroneous it's totally working against him um at this point gracie is bleeding from the lips now as well as this sort of wound that has opened on his face and let's just say he looks totally fucked oh he's yeah he's not oh, he's yeah. not having a good time he's at this point. Coach. he yeah. is bollocks yes <laughs> face like a melted welly face like a melted welly <laughs> there's 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 a great bit like towards the end like this is one of the more tragic uh bits uh sakuraba he gets a big leg kick and gracie goes down his own momentum sort of uh takes him over and he's just got this look of on his face saying nothing more articulate than oh for fuck's sake <laughs> like <laughs> nothing has gone right for him oh fucker these uh, last couple of rounds. Towards the end, he's virtually shirtless. He looks defeated. He's looking towards his corner. Yeah. And there are frantic discussions taking place amongst the Gracie family. Yeah, at that, this point, the, so the last five minutes, there's the moment where they pan over and one of them grabs the towel yeah. uh, as if to throw it in. Everyone sees it on the big screen oh, and they lose their like, mind. Yeah, they they know what's coming. Such high drama. It was so, so good. I, I loved it. I thought it was... 
one of the most pro wrestling things I've it's ever seen. It's literally just like Owen Hart and the British Bulldog at uh, Survivor Series 94. Yes. Being the cross-faced chicken yeah. wing for, uh, well, um, 80, 82 minutes uh, <laughs> less than this match lasted. But uh, what feels yeah. like an eternity at the time. But like, it's uh, is it Henzo in the corner with, uh, with uh, Helio Gracie? Um, I think so. Yeah. It's uh, Henzo. There might even be a young Hoyler, or maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, but there's someone along those lines. He is virtually shirtless. Something beginning with an R, pronounced H. We know that much. That's the thing I wanted to ask, because yeah. like I didn't know this uh, about uh, sort of Brazilian Portuguese until I uh, went round a mate's house and watched uh, Hen and Barão have a fight in uh, UFC. Yeah. when he was actually good, and. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was just like, "Hang the fuck on! Have we been? Have we been getting it wrong? Should it have actually been uh, Hivaldo and Honoldinho and Habino? Roberto Carlos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well uh, it, it, I think it's even more complicated because I think it's actually like Honoldinho. <laughs> like oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. It's Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese. I heard that it was actually just absolute bollocks made up by the degrees. I would love I that to be true. Really, Wouldn't surprise me. They're like, no, it, it's it's Hoist, not Royce. I mean, they they must they must be absolute nightmare in a Rolls Royce garage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think many of them are going to be buying a Rolls Royce anymore anytime soon. No, it, I mean the worst at pronouncing ours and Jonathan Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's like basically like actually linguists have proved that uh, you've you, you've got four main uh, strains of Portuguese. You've got Portuguese, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. The Portuguese they speak down in the former colonies, Angola, Mozambique, and uh, Guinea-Bissau, all of those sort of places. And then you have the uh, the the uh, weird Portuguese that MMA fans and fighters speak when uh, your R's are pronounced <laughs> as H's and nothing is what it seems. Um, yeah, uh, at, at this at this point, can you just be please um, splicey splicey in a clip of Anderson Silva speaking in his adorable voice? Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Even better, I will splice in. Have you ever heard John Pollock's impression of Anderson? Oh, <laughs> yes, that's, that's going to be better than the real thing. We've got multiple choice. You pick A, B, C, or D. Is this Corey? We're calling for site survey. Are you available to answer some questions? This is Anderson. I am oh. between fights right now, so I take freelance work. I beat Chael once. Then I beat him second time. Chael, he fail. Fail, son. And Anderson, get arm raised. As middleweight king, we just going to forget the last year of my life. I want to welcome in my good pal, Waiting. Waiting? Who this man? Tell me about Teddy Hart. You celebrating Christmas today? A spider always awake. A spider always have senses at all hours of the day, Koi. This is oh, how you I become know. world champion. Be a little specific about trade. I trade a lot of strikes in my day. You go watch my trades with Force Griffin. Have you ever gone to Thailand? Anderson, send friend to Thailand. He bring him back blue vial. Very bad. Very, very bad. Corey, I want to thank you. You have Merry Christmas and Happy New Year because it's going to be the year of the spider. You want my name? <laughs> you want my no, name? Is that what you want? I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting, fart, it's my heart. Anderson, uh, very nice to see you. Thanks for sticking around, by the way. Hi. Uh, hi. Um, so Anderson, what do you think of Raw? You, you were Fedor, Fedor <laughs> bad. You were the spider in Pickering. I don't pick a ring, I pick a cage. <laughs> Bro, I out, I out. 
I tell everyone I'm back. Now I go. Yeah, we learn lesson. <laughs> we learn lesson. We learn lesson. You look Hunter. Hunter with the bat. He he no good. He no good. But I trust my voice. Me and Ed Suarez come for you. Vigilante. The spider going to sting you. Ed. Hmm. The perfect ending. It would be knockout by Chris Weidman. Uh. I've been uh, I've been training with Steven Seagal. Anderson don't do nothing that he don't ask for. March 29, 18, John Park, live podcast, Q&A, you come, 11.30, Pacific <laughs> time. Ooh, hell, hell, bad place. Hell, hell, God, God, no, God, no hell. I, all I'm saying is I want a uh, translation of uh, Commercials de Luciad uh, into uh, <laughs> Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Brazilian dialect. I think that would be fucking Give me great. five minutes. Give me five minutes. It's actually pronounced Hussiad. I'd love to hear him say round and round the roundabout, the roundy rascal ran. Oh. <laughs> that was actually used in the Takeshi's Castle because uh, Jonathan Ross is a new uh, presenter. Oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, and the scriptwriters decided for a rib, they just they made a, they just made lots of references to things of ours in them. So there's a new round called Runaway Rockaway, um, oh. and they, they also go, what is it like? There, there's like a giant cat shit at some point that somebody has to fight, and because then the cat the cat poop is ready. Something I thought I'd never see on TV along with round and round the rock. Ready, rascal, round. I'm I'm fine with Willie Waterwick. I'm fine with scriptwriters having any amount of. Uh, Fun at Jonathan Ross's expense because I hate the cunt. So we're uh, getting into the uh, <laughs> the uh, end of uh, the end of this uh, match. As we said, um, he you know, he is um, hoist Gracie. He is cold. He is naked. Were you there? Were you there? Um, <laughs> Don't tell anyone that he lives like that. <laughs> Sakuraba easily dances away from his uh, leg kicks. Uh, sort of a downward Superman punch and a soccer kick attempt. He's basically having fun right now. The end of the round comes and Hoist Gracie is done. He is just... Uh, he's completely done. In the end, Henzo throws in the towel. And you get the sense from Sakuraba. He's like, I could do six more rounds of this shit. Yeah. Now, the, I don't exaggerate when, when I say... This was a dominant performance virtually from start mm. to finish. For for ninety minutes there were there were few if any occasions he looked in danger, Sakuraba. Yeah. And and it's also it's hard to convey to people now, I think, um, just quite how shocking this would have been. Yes. Um and quite how much of a surprise this would have been. I think if Hoist Gracie had gone this amount of time against, say, someone else who was considered to be kind of in the elite or world class of this nascent sport um at the time. Um, then it would have been slightly different. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking even of someone like um, uh, someone that because um, uh, a similar contemporary, a contemporary of that time, um, who had a beautiful, gorgeous grappling um, match in Pride um, with um, uh, Sakuraba later on, which is Carlos Newton. Um, went on to win the yes. uh, middleweight, uh, uh, not middleweight, was it middleweight? Uh, or welterweight, welterweight title in um, UFC, where I think Matt Hughes had thrown him. Anyway, um, look at that fight between him and Sakuraba. He's gorgeous. He's both going to grapple. Someone like him who was at least a renowned kind of um, grappler, um, ha- had a little bit of cred behind him or whatever. A, a figure like that, maybe. Um, but this is com- so unexpected. I mean, this is literally the the, the nick of the fucking um, uh, ex-shoot, uh, uh, you know, wrestlers that they've been um, uh, exposed to. Them. They've got Takada. Um, I mean, and this guy is just doing things that were on another planet. 
Um, this had never been seen before against this style of fighting, um, and it was revelatory stuff. Like, I mean, talk about proof that, uh, as if it were needed, uh, that the most promoted pro wrestlers are not necessarily <laughs> the most accomplished fighters, because Sakuraba, like, he main evented a couple of UWFI shows, but I mean, we saw it when we did the episodes on it. He was, a, he was an undercarder. Uh, yeah, yeah, nothing a, special. A multi-man. Yeah, he was in a couple yeah. of multi-mans, really good ones. He's clearly a profe- uh, proficient wrestler, but it, yeah, it, it just so happens that uh, hidden within the the sort of outer shell of this uh, mid-card professional wrestler was one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time, and it's not going too far to say that this fight made him uh, a, a national sporting icon oh. in Japan. This fight made him, and it made pride as well. Absolutely. Without question. You've now got the narrative of the Gracie Hunter. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about, yeah. A huge promotional tool. Um, when cause the, the thing is, is, if you start off by beating Hoist Gracie, I mean, you, you pretty much... You, you begin to think, well, actually, you can probably beat the other Gracies. I mean, Hoist yeah. is the best they've got at this point. And indeed, he, uh, he goes on to do just that. Yeah, that's <laughs> incredible. This was, again, savvy matchmaking by uh, the legitimate businessman in that they matched him up with various members of the Gracie family, and not only does he beat Hoist, he beats three additional Gracies in yeah. future Pride fights, all of them doing huge houses, huge amount of interest. This became his gimmick, the Gracie Hunter. Yeah. Another yeah. funny postscript to this fight. Uh, do you remember uh, I mentioned uh, about 15 minutes ago that uh, this was a uh, part of a tournament? Uh, the tournament yeah. all took yeah. place yeah. on the same night. So, he had to fight uh, again. He had to fight again. Not only did he have to fight again, he had to fight uh, Igor Vovchanchin, who was one of the most feared heavyweight fighters oh. of his time. The Ukrainian freight train. Is, is this like yeah. a genuine menace, Gary Albright? Yeah, one of the most feared heavyweight fighters of all time, uh, a man with a ridiculous record. And like, okay, yeah. so you've got 90 minutes with uh, one of the top fighters in the world. You've beaten him handily. How about though, because you've got to fight this guy. And the thing is, Sakuraba, for the first 10 minutes of the 15 minute round, he gets the better of him. Yeah. <laughs> he gets the better of Vov Chanchin, and then. He only stops if they throw in the towel, right? Yeah, yeah, because his, his corner have been like, come on, you've had enough. It's the equivalent of. Do you remember at, um, like, a few years ago at Wimbledon when no. there was this ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, obviously you don't, but like at Wimbledon, there was a ridiculous um, 11 hour first round uh, tennis match. Is that. Is... Isner versus Isner Mahu. Versus it was played Mahu. over yes. three days. And one of the things you should do is go on the Guardian website. And I'm, I'm not going to see the, say this very often, but you should go on the Guardian website and uh, find the live uh, text commentary for this match because the guy doing it is just charting his own descent into madness. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. And the final set was something like 71-69 uh, or something like that. And I've actually been to Wimbledon. There's actually a plaque at the court. So you can see where it took place, and um, uh, John Isner, who was a you know top player and you know still is, um, he only won like four games in the second round match because he was absolutely fucked against a guy under normal circumstances. He probably would have beaten very handily, but because he was so exhausted from this epic, he was just like you know. So maybe we'll never know if uh, Sakuraba had maybe only had to go 15 minutes with uh, Horace Gracie. And to be honest, there's justification for if you had to go to a judge's, judge's decision based on that just that first round, you could have given that to Sakuraba. Um, yeah. Could he have beaten Vov Chanchin if he hadn't uh, had to wrestle an hour and a half? Like, you know, we, we'll never know. But um, the fact that his conditioning was so strong that he could get up after all that and for most of the first round against one of the feared, most feared heavyweights of all time, get the better of him is, uh, you know, 
fucking testament to the guy. It's completely without parallel or compare in the history of, of, of combat sports in some ways for someone to come from such an unexpected position to dominate so yeah. fearlessly. Yeah, because he had a good it's record. It's hard to think of examples of that. People gave him a chance. I just to mention one thing about the Gracie Hunter tag. Well, actually, two things is that I remember one of my favourite uh, booking ideas I've ever heard was on Japanese audio wrestling, which around about the time when they brought in those uh, Goon Gracies. Oh, Daniel and uh, Daniel, or should I say Hanyan and uh, Hollis? Don't even. I've got such. No, don't even. I mean, I can't wait to review it. I remember at that point, I, think, I can't remember, I think it was Chris Charlton mooted the idea of continuing the Gracie Hunter uh, gimmick, but with lots of vignettes of Sakuraba going around the city like the crow, looking for Tokyo phone books for people named Gracie, <laughs> yeah. and then just turning up at their house. <laughs> It'd be like the first 10 minutes of Terminator, the first one. The first 10 minutes of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just finding Gracie's. Alex and yeah. Zarkowski are the two biggest gossips in town. <laughs> <laughs> they did uh, negotiate for Sakuraba to take on Hicks and Gracie, who we've mentioned before. Yeah. That was ongoing negotiations where after he'd beaten all four of them, all four of the other Gracie's, are they trying to make the match of Hickson? Now, uh, it didn't happen for, well, a very sad reason, to be honest. Because uh, I think uh, Hickson had been fighting for quite a while in Pride. And then his son, Hoxson, he what I don't think he was an MMA fighter. Like, I think he, he, he moved to America and kind of had his own life and things like that. And was uh, heavily involved in like, drinking things like that. And he died. They didn't actually know he died for months. Um, he just turned up in a morgue one day in oh, LA. Jesus. The only reason they noticed who it was is because it was, um, it was like, I love you, Dad, Hicks and Gracie, on the, tattooed on him. And that's how they found out. Oh. And ever since then, yeah, it, it was really, really grim. And at that point, that was when he, he decided, I'm done. I don't I don't ever want to fight again. I don't, you know, he, he was just completely crestfallen, just never fought again. Like, it is really, really sad, but it, it also makes you think about how they came really, really close to having Sakuraba take on Hexen. And the amount of money and the amount of publicity that would have got, that would have been a generation-defining yeah. fight. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is, you know, obviously, it, it is a real shame the circumstances around it. Um, but, because I think you mentioned this before, I, I think Sakuraba could have taken Hexen. I, I genuinely think yeah, that. I feel that at, at that point in Hickson's life as well. Well, let's be honest that this, you know, the problem with Hickson will always be um, that this is a man that, um, as as dangerous and terrifying as he might have been, is acknowledged to have inflated his record. So mm. when you think about that, you have to think, you know, that this guy is either inflating his record because he is you know, wanting to sort of um, uh, make some sort of claim to being the greatest of all time and he wants to make it definitive. Um, or he's just been badly advised. Uh, but that it, that aura is always slightly questionable with him um, in ways that I actually don't think it is with someone like Hoyce, actually. Um, you know, people will, will always put asterisks next to Hicks and Gracie's name, right? That are yeah. the jokes about oh, backfighting bums on beaches and, you know, counting wins. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> so it's all just a little bit. He only um... turns around to check in his bundle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think maybe if he had fought Sakurab, we wouldn't maybe be saying these things about that. Because that, like, that, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, because like, um, yeah, you would have thought it was a fight that would happen if he fought other sort of maybe less notable members of the of the Gracie family. Yeah, but um, I mean, 
I, sh I should say at this point, out of interest, if anyone is interested, out of interest, sorry, um, um, as a point of like um, information, I guess, um, if anyone is interested in um, finding out a little bit more of like the sort of what was going on um, sort of uh, backstage with Hickson when he fought in Japan um, and kind of understanding his ritual and the way he prepared for fights and watching some of those fights through, um, there's an excellent um, documentary on YouTube uh, called Choke, uh, the Hickson Gracie story. Um, which yeah, was made at the that, time. Is that the one where they, in the Valley Tudor competition yes. in Japan? Yeah, I think it's like 95, maybe. Yes, so yeah. 94, 95, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's well worth checking out. So um, I think the last thing to say about this uh, match before we end the episode, um, is it a good fight? Did you enjoy watching it? Because on I, I, I've got a friend who is, he's very into UFC, but doesn't really know very much about Japanese MMA. And I told him about mm. this match. Uh, I was out watching it for the podcast. It's, uh, and he knows who Sakuraba and Hoist Gracie are. Um, and mm. I was like, a 90 minute MMA fight. And he went, that sounds fucking horrendous. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> what did you two guys think about it? It's impossible to look at this fight without also taking into consideration its historical importance. Um, and the, the narrative that has almost been built up as much after this fight um, as before it. Um, so for me, it's almost like it's impossible not to be engaged by it because I come to it. I, I didn't see it at the time. Um, you know, I, I wasn't. I was probably more concerned with like you know I don't know but punk rock and like Stella um, at that point in my life uh, than I was anything else. And at this point um, in your life, to be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a man. I have a doll. <laughs> um, definitely get rid of that. Stella, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you hear me, Yella? Stella. Um, oh, but you know, so um, it's hard to. It's really hard to be objective about it. Um, it's a little bit like if someone yeah. says to you, um, you know, you, you, um, I've got tickets to, for, for us to go into the cinema, to them, and, and that day you kind of just want to see some shitty new like rom-com, but they're like, oh, well, we've got tickets for Night of the Hunter or Citizen Kane. It's like, you know it's going to be fucking dope, but it's going to be the best thing you've ever seen, but it's as much about the discussion around it and the and yeah. how, how it's kind of led to other things as it is this independent... It, do you know what I mean? Like It's hard to sometimes get into the headspace of that. Um, so I think this is similar. Yeah. I feel that if you were, I feel this would be one of the most incredible things to ever have seen live. I think that it would be absolutely off the chain if you were there, um, when when this fight was going on, um, in the in the Tokyo Dome crowd, I think it would be absolutely fantastic. It was a very enjoyable fight, and especially Sakuraba's antics were fantastic. Yeah. My my wife actually said about this. I think we mentioned before we talked about Pride fights about how they're like pub car park fights. Yeah. Uh, and she mentioned that this was a pub car park fight for her because you like the ones that we come on to later on in the next episodes that are just like little wild swinging punches and things like that. Oh yeah. But she oh, yeah. was like, "This is a pub car park. Fight. It's just people like hugging each other and trying to like throw each other down and try, you know, like trying to do something and failing miserably and just like holding each other and you know like station being stationary and holding for a while." And I feel it's a very good point. There is there is a lot of downtime in it, but I mean it's a ninety minute match. What do you expect? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, any 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 fight after an hour ninety minutes is going to look like a pub car park fight. I don't care if you're the best fighters in the world, Ryan. Yeah. Often you'll see it in um yeah you'll see it in boxing matches with heavyweights, especially that um even boxing matches that go the full distance sometimes you can have two fantastic well conditioned fighters, but they'll start hugging, they'll start swinging at the end if they've given everything. Um, yeah, you know, it takes absolutely. the very most disciplined and the very most um, physically real 1% peak fitness to be able to not do that, you know? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the analogy, I've made this analogy before on the podcast with uh, some of the slower pace matches, uh, Robertson versus, versus Botwinkle back in episode nine, but it is like a test match. Like, you've got the same amount of action as you would in a shorter cricket match. It is just space out. That's, that's the thing. It is, it, is, it is slow, but there is a story that you can identify in it. And uh, it, is, it is just, it's just uh, a, an experience at the end of the day. I will say, actually, as a caveat, that I did watch this while... Because uh, I was like, I, I'm, OK, I watched it in one go, but I'm not just watching the fight. So I'll, I'll have something in my ears. So I actually listened to our Robot Wars episode. Um, and uh, I, was actually, uh, I was actually really uh, happy with that episode. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was one of our better ones. So like, not, not that I'm saying anything about you, Daniel. <laughs> it was just like, Robot Wars is fucking <laughs> awesome. Talking about it is That's... awesome. I'm, but, sure, um, I'm sure i'm sure the, i'm sure the listeners will agree <laughs> <laughs> but um so and so i was having a good time listening to the episode as well so if i hadn't been doing that if all of my attention had been focused on the fight maybe i i would have found it a bit a bit duller but i had something else to occupy me so that's a caveat but at the end of the day i think if you're an mma fan you want to know about pride um do watch uh you know there's some matches to come on our next episode that are Stone Cold Classic MMA fights, um, but do watch the stuff that we've covered on this episode. We've had one freak show fight, we've had one obvious work, and we've had one fucking you know Passchendaele war of attrition. So um, <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got you've got the whole gamut, and really this is what this. Early I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to work yeah, out who's hearing that passion, who's hearing that Passchendaele analogy, like <laughs> putting putting the putting the passion into Passchendaele. <laughs> Yeah. What we need is a daylight charge over the minefields. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, to, we shouldn't say things like that because apparently you're not a real Englishman if you don't like go out in a whole suit made of poppies. You know what? This. You know, you know what, George? You know what, mate? You know what? I've got a fucking problem with you, right? Like, you see these fucking cunts like you, right? They're coming here, they're coming to fucking wireless, right? You know what they do? They say, uh, "Oh, oh, passion down this, passion down that." Have you seen the fucking day? It's nearly, it's nearly, it's nearly a fucking the anniversary of our brave boys. <laughs> brave, brave boys. <laughs> How fucking dare you? How fucking dare you? You've got a fucking nerve you have, James O'Brien. Uh, if, if, if you've never been to the UK, by the way, like, uh, what Daniel is doing. a fucking shit tip. Yeah, what Daniel don't, is don't that's why that's why you go to fucking Spain. Um it's fucking well, yeah, yeah, obviously there's no there's no xenophobic uh, racist Englishman <laughs> in Spain. Perish <laughs> the perish the fucking Lord. Just me. So <laughs> yeah. thanks to the leave vote and the Brexit referendum, there won't be many for too long. I, I can't <laughs> yes, go back indeed. even if I want to now. Like <laughs> stranded there like Tom Hanks in the terminal. So um <laughs> maybe that is a good place for our episode to terminate. So um <laughs> David, you have a plug for us. We were meant to be reviewing more matches today, but it's 20 to 12 at night, and my, I don't think my wife is very happy. 20 to 1, so yeah. We, we kind of have to cut it short, but we are going to be reviewing um, a match with Yoshihiro Takeyama um, next time. And basically, the reason I'm mentioning this now is that you may know what's happened to Takeyama and that he's been paralysed in the waist down. He had a bad accident uh, when he was in a wrestling match and he's been seriously injured. Uh, the reason I wanted to mention this... Just now is because um, there's actually been there's a, a Japanese pro wrestling uh, group on Facebook and um, we've set up. Uh, you'll have if you've heard of the Real Hero Archive, it's the people who run that, and a lot of people always say to them they want to pay for the Real Hero Archive, but there's a lot of legal issues with that, and they want to try and you know help promote companies and stuff like that. So what they've done instead is that they've said if you want to give us money, what we've done is we've set up a charity donation thing for Takiyama's medical bills because. 
un, unlike here in the UK, uh, in the UK we obviously we get our medical treatment paid for us, so we are we, we don't really have a comprehension of this. For now, for now, yeah, it's a very subject for us. But obviously in Japan, the American thing is that you need to pay for your medical bills and it's quite costly. Um, Hayabusa went for this as well. And um, you've ever heard about Hayabusa's uh, documented uh, struggles where he basically lost his house and things like that because paying for medical bills. It's it's really not nice. Um, but uh, what we're going to say is that uh, there is a, a drive been set up uh, for Yoshiro Takayama's medical bills. There's quite a few people have donated to it. I'll be donating to it in the next couple of days. Uh, and we will uh, pop this again when we get to the Takayama matches um, on the next episode. But um, if you want to donate to Yoshihiro Takayama's medical fund, um, there is a PayPal address. It is beerman37 at aol.com. So that's B-E-E-R-M-A-N 37 at aol.com. Donate whatever you like, pound, two pound, whatever. You know, some drachma you have in the back of the couch. Uh, just, you know, to try and help out because even though a couple of quid can really, really help out because obviously if everyone puts in a couple of quid, um, you know, that can raise a lot of money. Um, so yeah, there's a PayPal address there. Um, Again, it's beerman37 at aol.com. You have until it's late December, because what they're doing is they're going to um, Japan for the Wrestle Kingdom show, and they know Minoru Suzuki. Uh, they're quite friendly with him. So what they're doing is Minoru Suzuki... Yeah, uh, Minoru Suzuki is uh, one of Takayama's best friends. Um, I don't know if you've seen the press conference recently. Oh, it's heartbreaking, it really is. Yeah. Uh, Minoru Suzuki is always... Um, He's famed for having a stone-faced demeanour. He's always very serious, and and he broke down, and it was it's heartbreaking, like it's absolutely. But they they know Minoru Suzuki, so what they're doing is they're taking donations, and then when they go to Japan, they're going to meet up with him and give him the money to sort of make sure it goes to the right hands. So unlike you know sometimes you get drives, and it goes yeah. to like you know like it gets a cut taken out by whoever's you know the donation site or whatever. All the money goes to him. I mean, if you're if you're really poor and you can't afford to donate, because obviously we know that not everyone is in a situation where they can, just send the guys a message or send them a message on Twitter or something or like uh, yeah, whatever. Like, because anything at this yeah. point, I'm sure, is really helpful to someone that's going through that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And if if anyone does want to find out more about it, um, I don't know the guy on Twitter, but if you shoot us a DM, um, or you know, just you know, give us an at, yeah, I yeah, can give you all the information. Um, and you know, send you in the right way. Uh, but absolutely, like if you have if you have a couple of quids to spare. But yeah, as I said, like if, if you know about Takayama and you know about his wrestling, his pride, especially the, the pride, you know, the match we're going to review is iconic. And to be honest, he deserves mm. all your money just for that match that we'll come to. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. He yeah. is. He just seems like a very lovely man, and it's a, an awful situation. And like as I said, if you ever want to find out about the sort of situation that's going on. I would also recommend Bahu FMW. He he does a big history of FMW and things like that. And he did a big history on Hayabusa when he died and went through all the struggles he went when he paralysed himself. And it is, it is pretty grim, to be honest, but it gives you a bit of a, a good focus in terms of what, what you know why these people are asking for this money. It, it is a really heartbreaking situation. And to be honest, I would you know suggest if you can... Chuck them a couple of quid. You don't need to give them forty quid or anything like that. Just you know, and you know, even if you get what ninety, you know, three pound eighty one in the bank, give them the three pound eighty one. You'll not know it. You'll not miss it. Um, yeah. So that's I just wanted to plug that. I said I'll plug it the next time as well, but just for now. I mean, that is by far the worthiest plug we've ever Absolutely. done this podcast of of 
of of less benefit to humanity, but also something we do at the end of episodes. You can uh, you can find our stuff at um, well, firstly on our Facebook page that we never update, the Puro Puro Podcast at Puro Podcast on Twitter. You can find us on uh, SoundCloud.com, the Puro Puro Podcast. Once again, begin to send a bit of a theme. Um, our episodes uh, up on the uh, Pro Wrestling Only Network when Daniel remembers to. Uh, to uh, notify the guy who runs it, and uh, he's he's doing a sort of uh, very Gallic, very Gallic-looking uh, shrug over there. And um, you can also find our uh, stuff on imaintainedablefootstompisilly.com. We have uh, articles about Poe and also uh, about Robot Wars. David and I like doing that. To that end, we also did a uh, crossover episode with the uh, the Activate podcast to a couple of lovely lads. And so we have uh, done, done an episode of Hashtag Robot Wars is Pro Wrestling, uh, which we hope to do more of along that line about other sub- other subjects, um, yeah. pastimes, etc., and how they relate to uh, professional wrestling. Yeah, we have a few little so, ideas about that. We'll not say anything yet, but we definitely have a few little ideas about... Uh, this will be probably an ongoing occasional series about things that constitute um, pro wrestling, but sit outside of its uh, general confines. Absolutely. So... Um, uh, as well as that, I just wanted to make a plug um, for the Quickly Kevin podcast. Uh, we're not involved. I just really like them. Uh, it's at Quickly Kevin. <laughs> uh, you can contact them on hello at quicklykevin.com, as Jim Rosenthal tells us every week. It's about 90s football. It is the greatest podcast of all time. Um, it's better than this shit heat. <laughs> so, go, go listen to that instead. Nice. Oh, and as well as that, the fund for Takiyama is called Takiyamania. So that if you Google Tacky and Ah, nice. So you, you can also you can also give money to help someone in a neighbor's into a lovely portmanteau as well. Certainly. With that in mind, plugs, plugs being done, uh, I have been uh, George Thompson, Daniel and uh, David Forrest, my uh, my colleagues in this, and uh, we've been to you Style Hour. Farewell until the next time on the Pro Free Podcast. In 1976, Eric Clapton caused controversy when he appeared to support the views of Enoch Powell at a concert in Birmingham. Looking again at the allegations of racism which marred your uh, career at a certain point. Oh, the, 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 um, the great Enoch Powell. Yes, you, when, you, when, you, <laughs> when you were several sheets to the wind. Well, it was fairly, um, 
it was fairly kind of uh, normal behaviour for me to come out with sort of inappropriate speeches. I mean, usually they were in private or in pubs or in something like that one somehow uh, made the papers. I didn't think it was as important as a lot of the, the, the you know, people thought attached to it. I can't remember what sparked it off, really. I think it was referencing Akbal in the sort of a black colony or something, wasn't yeah, it? Like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was convinced that we had a, a weird kind of attitude to, the government's attitude towards immigration was corrupt and hypocritical. And my impression of Enoch Powell was that he was somehow telling the truth about this or that he was saying, that, predicting that there would be trouble, and of course there was and is, you know. Because so, it's not a racial thing. I don't think, you see, it could not have been a racial thing for me because how could it be when I've always identified so strongly with the black community anyway? We've returned to the 29th of October. What's happened between now and the 29th of October? Do you um, know? Um, hang on, let me, let me let me think. Oh, I know. Um, Michael Bisping. Oh, Yana Jandracek and Michael Bisping lost um, their titles. We can make a joke about that. I was going to go. I was going to go with the uh, the leaders of the Catalan independence movement have been arrested. But I mean, if you want to do something actually related to MMA, that's on you, fam. Uh, I I don't know. I I, I quite like the Catalan um, the Catalan referendum. Uh, what, yeah. So uh, do you have a do you have a joke about it in your head? Um. Hang on. Wait. <laughs> No. No. Okay. <laughs> because there's wow. nothing funny about the crushing of a democratically democratically elected government fighting for their right for self determination. <laughs> See, I can be fucking Daniel. I never need him. Don't need a Daniel. It's a daddy presenter anyway. <laughs> yeah, we don't need you, Daniel, yeah. do we? Hello, everybody. No. Yarbrough. Throwing his mouthpiece out. This is not a very smart thing to do. No, no, of course not. Probably the largest athlete ever to compete in sports in any event in the history of the earth that I know about. I mean, I know Andre the Giant was bigger than than uh, Emmanuel Yarbrough as far as height. Whoa! whoa. Emmanuel Yarbrough hustling now. I'm telling you, it's oh, this is not good. Oh. You got a big avalanche of a man like that coming oh. after you. Can you imagine he mounts you and he punches you? No, I can't. I, I would probably tap as soon as he mounted me. Oh, yeah. I would freak out. Especially if I, you know, Takase is now fearing for his life. That, that was some energy throwing there. I should, I suddenly should shock him and run the other side. Yarbrough exploded there for a second. He almost grabbed Takase. And if it, if it gets into a cliff, this fight is definitely going to be over. If he grabs him and doesn't let go, Takase is going to be in a world of trouble. Now, until now, it's been a very interesting time for Takase. This is like Jaws. This is like Jaws. What is the state of Japanese MMA now? It was gigantic for a while when Sakuraba was big, when you were huge, when mm. Pride was filling 90,000 seat yeah, arenas. It was huge. It was yeah. like nothing else. Yeah. 
It's like I, I experienced sixty thousand at Rogers in in Canada when George St Pierre fought Jake Shields. I, I couldn't imagine thirty more thousand people there. Mm-hmm. But, you, but mm-hmm. you were there for that. Yeah, oh yeah, it was awesome. I mean, if that was a ten, and before MMA actually came out when they only had pancreas, and that was a one, it's at like a four right now. What happened? It's yakuza involvement. Oh. I mean, the thing that people don't realize is in Japan, everything is Yakuza's involvement. Every big company, every big promotion. Shuto tries to say that they never get Yakuza's Yakuza involvement, but they're, they're, they're backed by Sumiyoshi, which is the second largest group in Japan. You know, So everyone has Yakuza connections. Any big Coca-Cola company, Johnson & Johnson, any company has Yakuza connections. Wow. But it's not public. So, say if Coca-Cola goes over there and they open up a plant in Japan, they must go through the Yakuza? They'll have back connections, yes, definitely. How do they negotiate that? Well, it's, it's, it's really easy. It's, 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 a, um, it's a turf thing. It's a, if you know somebody, it's, it's, it's a percentage you pay. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty given thing. It's almost like, like taxes. Wow. Yeah, paying taxes. It's just accepted across Yeah, it's accepted. It's accepted. That's why it's... It's funny mm-hmm. how when it became public, everyone, it got really bad because it's a, it's a weird thing. It's accepted, but it's frowned upon. It's something huh. that they know they need to be a part of in society, but they don't want to make it public because the Yakuza has, does have a bad name. That was the only place where I've ever been where they asked me to cover up my tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was weird. That's why I don't have, I try to keep them out from my sleeve so it comes yeah. up from there. But after that, I stop because I don't want to. Walk around and you know be kicked out of places. You know, I just got denied to go in a hotel like last week when I was in Japan. Really? Yeah, because of my tattoos. With the neck? Is that what it is? Yeah, they saw the yeah, neck. They yeah, they saw the neck. So if I wear a hoodie, it covers it up. <laughs> so it helps, but yeah, I got uh, I got kicked out of a gym. They made me go put a long sleeve shirt on. Yeah, the gyms, even big gyms like Gold's Gym, won't let you. That's crazy. Yeah. You, what does it represent to j- Japanese? It represents the underworld gangsters. And, you know, they, you got to figure when you have a, ga- a gang, there's two or three top men. Those men are awesome people. And then you got the rest of the hundreds and thousands that are punks. And that's uh. the ones that you see. So basically a, a gangster, someone with tattoos, which equals Yakuza, would mean trouble. And they would, if, if you go into a sports gym and you're working out next to a guy and, you know, you're, you're working on, say, you take his weights by accident because he's in the middle of a set. I mean, if you're doing it to someone that's a normal person, he'll just say, hey, I was using those weights. Oh, sorry, okay. But it might be different for the Yakuza. And people would rather not work out in the area if there's a Yakuza guy working out there. So it's a bad rap. I mean, it's just justifiable, though. I can understand that. The UFC, when they went in and bought Pride, it's kind of a crazy story, but they paid $65 million. They bought Pride, and they mm-hmm. thought, you know, hey, we're going to run Pride as well as the UFC, like the same way they did with Strike Force when mm-hmm. they bought Strike Force. Mm-hmm. They kept Strike Force going for years. They mm-hmm. thought they were going to do that. Yeah. But meanwhile, it turned out all of their contracts were illegal. They really didn't have anybody under contract. They spent $65 million, and all they really got was a video library. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. while they had offices in Japan and they were hiring these people and paying for them, they were starting up Dream. They were starting up their own organization, oh, really? and huh? organizing everything. And yeah, and then you know the UFC. It took years before they could come back and and do a UFC there. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. They took it took a long time. Yeah, I heard Dana was getting like some like underworld threats, and you know was maybe, he? Yeah, that's that's what I heard. I saw, I sent Dana an email on that because if anything, I have a lot of pull in that side. And I told him that if you have any problems with that, I can help you. 
What would he have to do? Come to you and then you go to I them? I get really and... respected in that world. <clears throat> so um, I could, I if I don't know the person directly, I have guys that know him. So if he had any type of problem, I still, it still stands still today. If Dana has any type of underworld problems there, if he calls me, I could take care of it for him. It's interesting that there's such an underworld presence in Japan because mm-hmm. it seems so safe when you're there. Everything is so – people are so polite, and you don't see violence. You don't see – like you see drunk people walking to the street. No one mm-hmm. hurts them. Everything, everyone's fine. And I mean, the girls walk down dark lanes, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. – it's a strange sort of, you know, contrast 